I pulled out of the bank, went in, you know, about the same kind of thing, had the sight line broke up, pulled out of the bank and took off. And I was going to go up the road, take a left and take another left and get on the highway. So I go up here and I take a left and I see this car behind me. I'm like, okay. So I go up a little bit farther and I turn again and the car turns again as well. Mm, so that's bad. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to keep an eye on him for just another second. And then I'm going to, then I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to have to do something. Yeah. <laughs> so I pull across the road instead of turning right. And as I pulled across the road, he came behind me. And that's, oh, shit, what am I going to do? Hey, this is Matt Cox, and I appreciate you checking out the channel. And I've got an interview today with, with Alex Glass, whose real name is Justin Bott, and we'll explain that. Uh, he's, a, he's a bank robber, and well, a former bank robber, and, um, and so uh, we're gonna get into that in a second. Also, do me a favor, and if you like the video, you know, obviously after you've watched it, if you like the video, do me a favor and subscribe, hit the bell so you get notified, leave me a comment, share the video. Also, uh, check out my Patreon and Instagram, and uh, now we're gonna get into it. Where where were you originally? Where were you originally born? How'd you grow up? You know that sort of thing. Okay. So, um, well, I'm glad to be here. Yeah, happy to be here sure. on this. Um, really. So I grew up. I was actually born in Washington State. Um, my parents moved back here when they were um, when I was about three. Um, my dad was from Washington State, farm boy from Washington State. My mom, ironically, worked for the FBI. Nice. And they met up around D.C. when my dad was in the service and she was working for the FBI. So at about three years old, we moved out here um, so she could take better care of her mom. And uh, been in South Carolina ever since, uh, most of that time. Uh, not your typical guy that you might have on, on a show like this because I, I grew up with great parents. You right. Know, solidly middle class. Um, never saw my dad drunk. You know, mom might have a daiquiri and get giggly, but that's about it. Right. Um, but I was just different. You know, I grew up and and was was curious and all about all the bad things. You know, I was curious about drinking. I was curious about drugs. I was I wanted to be a tyrant to some degree. Right. Something in me is wired that way. Um, even now, as I'm trying to do better in life, it's still just kind of wired yeah, yeah, that way. I, I always look at things with an angle about how I can beat the system. Yeah. So. That's what, how it started out, you know. Yeah, we were talking about that er earlier. Mm -hmm. where we were just saying, yep. like, you know, do you do you ever think about it? Like, so I'm like, I think about fraud every day, it's constantly. Just, it's just, and we talked about this some because um, I did RDAP while we were in prison, which oh, is the, okay. Me the, too. The residential drug abuse program for those who don't know, and uh, we actually talked about that how how some people are just wired differently, and their mindset is geared more toward criminality and getting around the rules. You okay. should have brought your book. I don't have it published. Um, oh, okay. For me, it was more about... Just completing it? Completing a project, because I was one of those guys that... I've been an idea guy all my life. I've had right. so many ideas and tried so many different businesses, but I was never able to have the focus to get all the way through it. Right. Um, what, did you, what did you think? I'm sorry, uh, what... Just so we don't get off the top. What did you think of uh, RDAP? I thought if if you're willing to go into RDAP and admit that you're the one that's causing most of your problems, then it's a fantastic program. I, 
that's bro listen fantastic you know, you know it's funny like it's funny because like 80 percent of the people that graduate are like you know oh i faked my way through and i and you right. did i no doubt you did but the people that really work that program and and have to really look at themselves and say hey i'm a scumbag i put myself here mm-hmm. nobody yep. else did because everyone you know there's so many people that are blaming somebody yep so you know, that you put yourself here and you really look at it and you really say, I've got to make some fundamental changes. Like I, I had a, a program the other day where, I mean, a podcast the other day where I was saying, I think everybody should have to take that program. Like before you get out, you should have to take that program. I, I agree. I agree. I think that there should be some kind of program, even if it's not necessarily RDAP, you know, something that addresses how you perceive the world, because yeah. how you perceive the world is well, different than most people do. RDAP wasn't even about drugs. To me, it, 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 it's, it's it, almost it's really just about criminal thinking. It, it really is, errors or whatever you know, thinking yeah. errors. How, how are I can't remember the it? term. We had yeah, terminology yeah. for oh, all it's that. That's great. Yeah. Listen, Jess does it all the time. Jess, will, she? she'll say stuff to me. She'll go, "Oh, super optimism." Oh, yep. she'll she'll make these little <laughs> she'll make these little little comments. Yep. I'm like, don't 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 do that. And she's yep. like, I'm just saying, I'm just saying. Yep. you're uh, you're awfulizing. You know, yep. you're awful. <laughs> you right? Brings back some memories. I hadn't even heard any of that in so long. Bro, but if th- you, that's just yeah. If that's you great. read this, you'll die laughing because you know what okay. I did? I actually pulled a bunch of my um uh, my RSAs. So like every once in a while, I'll throw an RSA in there. Oh yeah. And Listen, like they're hilarious. like I wasn't trying to get the year off. Right. Like I was trying. I only went in the program to stay in Coleman. Mm-hmm. So I literally did seven months one time, six months. So I did over a year and something. Dropped out every time before, <laughs> just to stay at Coleman. But you learn so much about yourself if you're willing to do the work. You do, yeah. you know. But you got to be willing to do the work. You really yeah. do, because because a lot of guys they do go through there and fake it. Right. But if if you're willing to work on yourself. You have every tool available to be able to do that. Oh, yeah. And when we got towards the end, uh, in phase three, I became a senior guide. And did you guys have senior guides? Yeah, yeah. They called them. Uh, you, you had like mentors and you had um, big brothers. That's okay. what they called them. It's all the same. They always, everyone has a little, a little different terminology, yeah, but it's sure. the same exact thing. Yeah. So um, when, uh, you know, I became, a, I became a senior guide and I had to give a seminar. And at the very opening of my seminar and everyone that I gave after that, I would tell everybody, say, look, you have an opportunity that nobody else in the world has. Most people in the world anyway. You have the opportunity to take nine months and work on you. Right. And you have all the tools at your disposal to help you do that. So if you don't take this opportunity, it's just because you don't want to. On the street, that's a $150,000 program. Absolutely. Like if you literally, if your family was filthy rich and they put you in some kind of a program like that. It, it, that's over a hundred thousand yep. dollar easily yep. uh, program, and you're getting it for. I mean, granted, you're incarcerated, but you're there anyway. You're there anyway. I mean, you know what was funny? Um, I would call my ex-wife, um, and like I don't really see any difference in me. You know, I'm not necessarily seeing this difference, but she, I would call her, and she would go, "What's going on? What's wrong? What's this? What's that?" And I'd go, "What are you talking about?" She'd go. You called me up. You asked how my kids were. You know their names. You asked how her her new husband is. You right. asked about this. You asked about – we've talked almost 15 minutes, and you haven't said anything about you. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. She's like, usually that's all you talk about is you. Like I didn't even know you knew my kids' names. Right. Like, and I was like, wow, what a selfish prick. 
Like that, they so that that subtle change was so noticeable yeah. to her. Oh yeah, it, it, it's yeah, it's definitely it's definitely um, mind altering. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, and and people see it. You know, they yeah. they recognize. You know, it's like it's like they say about people with uh, you know some mental illnesses that uh, take medication. Your loved ones can always tell when you go off your medication. Yeah, they they're the first ones to be able to notice. Yeah, so it's the same kind of thing. But yeah, RDAP was really how I got to where I am now. Um, because I came, I became a senior guide. So for the third phase, which was the last three months of the program, um, you know, I was, I was helping people. And I remember, uh, one of the, what do they call them? DTSs, the drug treatment specialist. Um, he came to me and I was good with my living situation. I was fine where I was. And he's like, listen, I got this guy coming in. Um, and I think you could be a good help for him. I think you guys will get along good. You know, he's, he's, he's got some stuff he needs to work on. I'm going to put you up in a room with him. My first thought was, shit, man. A, pro- a problem. He's yeah, a problem. You're giving him to me because yeah. he's a problem, not because you're yep. trying to help me. Yep, yeah, not because you're trying to help me. So got up there, met the dude. He's a biker from Detroit. Um, was a gang member in, in one of the biker clubs in Detroit. But me and this guy hit it off like nobody's business. We're still in touch now. He's out. I'm out. Right. Um, I've seen him since we've been out. Squirrel, what's up? Um he, uh, but he and I had some really good talks and he was in RDAP for the right reason and he wanted to do things differently. Yeah. And that was where I kind of got said, okay, this is what I want to do. I want to be able to go out here and help other people. Cause one of the things that I was plagued with all my life was I always struggled with jobs. You know, I'd work a job for a year and a half, get pissed off at management and quit. Cause it was just hard for me. I always wanted to do my own thing. So, um, shit man no so you like you enjoyed helping him it was the first time that you i get what you're saying yeah you you were you liked helping him and and it felt good and you felt like it was right for you yeah so that that's the path i've decided to go down now and that's that's where i'm at um i spent 45 years being you talked about being selfish and and just caring about yourself i was the same way i wrote my story up for something i think i described myself as a taker yeah and that's really what i was i just whatever i could get something from somebody I, I would do that. So I made the decision pretty much in RDAP to spend the rest of my life being a different kind of person. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, look, it, it's, it's, you know, it's funny. It's, it's just life in general. And we'll get into all that. But so I can, we can get, we'll just get through this sure. and jump back because we kind of jumped ahead. But it, the, the truth is, is that, you know, is that in prison, I definitely learned purpose. Like to me, I know pur- my purpose was just getting everything I wanted. Right. You know, that was my purpose. Um, and that, you know, that I went to prison and then I realized, well, I really enjoy, you know, I enjoy writing. I enjoy talking to other people. I enjoy talking about, you know, what they've gone through. Um, and, and I do. I, and I, I enjoy that. And unfortunately, the, the, the things and the people that I find the most interesting are the people that have done, you know, that are, are, were involved in criminal activity. Right. But also having gone through that whole thing and learning, I also realized that, like I can't be like if you're doing if you're doing dirt, you know, like like I can't be around you. Like if you did it and you got an interesting stories, like, like to me, you're you're an interesting person now. You've had right. some experiences as sure. a, as a result of as a result, you know, to the the guy who you know worked a regular job, right. and has you know have a wife and two kids. Mm-hmm. You know, I wish I could have been that guy. And I, I'm right. not I'm not knocking that guy. Like right. I, I have. I know guys that will knock that guy like, oh, yeah, he's not happy. He's not. Yeah, but I he probably is happy. 
He is ha- like I wish I had been that guy. It didn't work out. But I always find the guys that had done crime interesting. But the truth is, if somebody was currently doing crime, like I, I don't want to be around you. Like like you did it, you went through it, you learned something, you moved on. Like that's an interesting person to sure. me. But the people that get trapped in it and can't ever move forward, right? Well, now you're just stuck in this rut, and 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 you it, you know if you're lucky you you figure it out, and if you don't, well then you end up dying in prison or. You know, or you end up, you know, you end up on the street or something like it's it's never going to work out to to your advantage. No. And I, I think there's <clears throat> there's always those two kind of people in the world. You know what I mean? There's there's the people that have gotten locked into that lifestyle. I think that a lot of them have gotten there because they just honestly don't know any better. Yeah. You know, they they weren't raised with any kind of manners. They weren't raised with any kind of morals. They just don't have that. Right. Um I had a celly one time right before I got out. He'd been locked up for 24 years for manufacturing meth. Right. Okay. During the conversations we had, he told me, I can't wait to get out there. I'm going to start cooking meth again, and I'm going to party hard one good time before I come back and basically die in prison. Oh, I was... Listen, I I I didn't know I don't know that guy, but I know fifty or a hundred yep. guys that are exactly like like literally. You're listening to this guy work on his next indictment. Yeah. it's like you are right now working on your. You haven't made it on the street. You're already working on you're your next. Already indictment. working on it. Yep. So and those guys are out there, and mm-hmm. most people never meet them. No, no, because they're always in prison. Yeah, they'll they'll make it out for six months to a year, and they'll if go they right back. If they make it out of the halfway house, if they make it out of the halfway house, we had one guy show up at the halfway house, and within two hours of being there, he was in the bathroom smoking meth. Made it three days, I think, before I, they sent him back. I, I hate to laugh because it's, you know it's it's really not fun, but I don't know what else to do. You know, I can't cry about it. It's like I don't know the person, but it's just like, what are you, what are you fucking thinking, bro? Like, how good is that drug? I don't know. I don't want to find out. No. You know, (laughs) but uh, yeah, they're definitely out there. And, you know, I work in recovery work now. I'm I'm a certified peer support specialist. Right. um, Which is like kind of like a low level entry level counselor type person. Basically, what they do is they use their life experience that they've overcome to help support others that are going through the same kind of stuff. Yeah. So I've seen this. And one of the things that we talk about a lot is how until somebody's ready. Yeah, There's nothing you can do for no. them. You can plant some seeds, let them know that you're there when they're ready. Yeah. But until they're ready, they can't do anything. It was the same way with me. I was drinking every day. I was waking up and drinking every day. Everybody tried to talk to me. My parents, they tried to talk to me. My friends tried to talk to me. But until I was ready to do it, nobody was going to get through. Well, let's let's go back to – so you were – let's go back to you know the genesis of that, which was you know you were in school. You went to high mm-hmm. school. Where would you – Go to high school. Um, Went to high school. Um, South Carolina somewhere. Upstate, right? upstate South Carolina, uh, Spartanburg area, Greenville, Spartanburg's just towns up there. Um, went to high school, was constantly in trouble. Um, right. You know, not big trouble, just more shenanigans and a lot of it just being lazy and not wanting to do my work. Right. Um, I, it's actually really interesting because I, uh, I got awarded an award on senior awards night because I was in the DECA club, which was like business club, basically. And they had competitions. And I ended up going out to San Jose, California to compete in the national competition because I'd done so good at the district and state. Right. Okay. So senior award night comes around. I get an honorable mention and a little award for going and doing that. The next night was graduation. I didn't graduate on time. I didn't have all my units. I didn't have all my credits. I ended up having to go to night school 
to get my diploma to be able to to do that. But um, I've all, I, I've always known, not in an arrogant way, that you know I'm I'm a smart guy, but I'm stupid in a lot of ways too, <laughs> or at yeah. least was. Yeah. So um, no, I get it. I'm the same way. Yeah, there's, I did there's that. Sometimes I'll work diligently on something for mm-hmm. weeks and weeks and weeks and super focused the problem is is typically when i do that i i disregard everything else that's keeping yeah. me going yeah. that's always been a problem for me right no and I, I can totally get that um so got out 1990 i graduated went into the army um my brother had been in the army my dad was in the army um so it just seemed like thing to do try to make things right go in the army do this um i remember my parents being a bit surprised that I made it through basic training. <laughs> they right. were so happy when I made it through basic training, but um, I ended up screwing that up. You know, I ended up. Were you still drinking getting, at that time or were you big drinking? I wasn't then? really doing it that much at that time. I was 19, so it was just beginning. Okay. But I went to Germany in the Army, ended up getting caught up in some shit there and, and um, got kicked out of the Army. Um, what was. what They had a. We were in communications. I was in a communications division. And over in the barracks at that time, they had these, what they called USA Direct Telephones. Any button that you press would get you a, an AT&T operator, and then you'd place either your cur- your collect call or your credit card call. Well, being in communications, we figured out there was a little knob down there that you could switch. And if you switch that knob, it would dial direct. Okay. And so, so we yeah. did that. And... When I got called in, you know, I'm 19. I don't know what, what the world's really like. So I told them how it was done at, at, at the MPs or whatever. And so because that happened, they blamed it on me, gave me the rap for it, kicked me out of the Army. Okay. So, what, so, was it an honorable discharge, dishonorable, or was it just it, a— It's like right in the middle. There's, there's honorable, and mine was other than honorable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it wasn't quite general, but it was— So anyway, I, I missed out on all veteran benefits and whatnot, so— but the bigger point is that it, this was a life pattern of yeah. just, you know, Shooting going a year or two. Foot. Yeah. I would go a year or two and be able to, to keep my shit together. And then being the key self-sabotage, I would just blow it all up for no particular reason. Right. So, so you go back to the States. So what happens? Come back to the States. Um, fall in with my same old friends. We're out partying all the time, this and that and the other. I, always having that criminal mindset, we were always looking at stuff. You know, how can we do this? How can we do that? Um, about three years after I got back, maybe two and a half, three years after I got back, um, me and a buddy of mine ended up doing a burglary at a restaurant that we worked at or he worked at. Um, so I got in trouble for that, did a little probation. It was the first real trouble I'd ever been in. So um, it wasn't too bad, but got a little probation. Um, did that and then. So yeah, you did you did the burglary? I mean, you didn't turn yourself in. Like the cops arrested you. That did, did you get yeah. caught in the middle of the burglary, or, or just something led to you? No, it, it led to us because they figured it out pretty quick. Or? Yeah, they did figure it out pretty quick. There was some things said, and I think we'd been drinking that night actually when we oh. did the burglary. So it was pretty sloppy and whatnot. Right. So oh, I know I know a guy who broke into a, a guy's house. Yeah, stole his wallet, went and used all of his wallet. Use all of his credit cards, broke back in the house to put the wallet back Good and left Lord. his ID in, <laughs> in in the guy's house. Like, 
Yeah, that's you know? that's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, it's funny, you know, like we were talking about, adrenaline gets going, you get all excited, you get, you know, you just you just fuck up. Yeah, yeah, you do. So we did on that one. We got busted and whatnot, and um, it wasn't too long after that. It was that was about ninety two, ninety three, I think, and uh, I just kept partying, you know, partying, doing everything, uh, drinking pot, acid. Used to love acid. Did a lot of acid back then. Right. That was. In my book, there's a little bit about that, that um, all the acid use and whatnot. But anyway, so about 1995, I was with this girl, and I kept throwing this idea at her of, of, of robbing banks. Neither one of us wanted to work. We wanted to just keep partying. So 1995, November and December of 1995, I finally convinced her to jump in on a bank robbery. What and, did you? So we talked about this, like the genesis of that idea was um, – Point break. That was that was as much of an inspiration for me to do that as as anything else was. I, I must have watched that movie twenty times. Can quote you all <laughs> kinds great, of stuff. It's a great movie. It, it really is a great movie. I feel um, bad. Like, like Connor has no idea what Point Break is. If even if he does, he only knows the new version, which is nothing compared to the old one. Well, the, the, you know, <sighs> With Keanu Reeves, bro, when he was Patrick like, Swayze, yeah, and, young, yep. and, and um, what was the other guy? The uh, was it Nick? Um, wasn't Nick Nolte? What's the Gary other guy? Busey? Gary Busey, yeah. Yep. Gary Busey was his <sighs> partner so, in there. I feel bad for you, bro. Like the new movies, are, there's just nothing <laughs> compared to the old movies. Nope, nope. They're great movies. There were great movies came out in the eighties and nineties. The Dead I Presidents. Yep. They're wearing the mask. They're doing the robberies. Like. <sighs> Yep. That listen, I'll bet you that movie got thousands of banks robbed. Thousands of them. <laughs> it made bank robbery look so fucking sexy. Yep. And it and it did. You yeah. know, that's what all those movies did. Um yeah, so, right up until everybody starts getting shot and killed and falling out of planes and just fucking mm-hmm. Yeah. People always forget that. They do forget you that. I, I love crime movies. I always forget about the part where they go to jail for fucking twenty years. Well, I, I don't you know. Uh, that's not going to happen to me. That happens in yeah. the in the in the AA and NA groups. They call that playing the tape all the way through. Yeah, <laughs> you got to play it through all the way to the end, not just the good parts yeah. too. So. Yeah, I suffer from super optimism. Yeah, I suffer some super optimism as well. Yeah. You know, I never wanted to face the consequences of what I did, but I was like, I can do this. I can do this. I'm smarter than them. I'm better yeah. than oh, them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Me That's too. what all of us think, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, right up until the judge says fucking twenty six years. Yeah, then it's it, like I was I was off. I somewhere. <laughs> I have time to think about it now. Though. Yep, somewhere I got off on my path. So, um, yeah, we were just hanging out, partying all the time, and she was working a little bit here and there, but, you know, money runs out, and we didn't have anything, and um, we kept talking about it late night, drug fuel conversations, and after about a week, she was like, okay, let's do it. I'll drive the car. You're going to go in and do everything. I said, okay. So, went by Walmart and got a devil's mask and put it on and had her pull up to the bank. I thought about all this all the way through. You know, I planned it and thought about it. I watched Point Break about 20 more times and realized you couldn't go into the vault. You just had to stay at the drawers up front, you know, (laughs) kill time at the vault. Um, So we, we talked about it for about another four or five days and then we went and did it. And the first one we did um, How did you know what bank to even rob? Like, did you? I lived in this apartment complex, and across the street, there was a, a bank that had 
a unique setup. It was just the perfect setup. There was privacy fences on three sides of the bank. And then on one side of it was a shopping center. And then it was at a big intersection where the roads uh, crossed like this. There was a little shopping center right here, convenience store right here. And the bank was right here with three privacy fences around it and a residential area behind it. I've been looking at it ever since I moved into the apartment. I was like, that'd be a great bank to rob. So we went and did that. And she dropped me off. She pulled up to the convenience store that was at the corner, killed 15, 20 seconds, because I'd already timed it all out, how long it was going to take me to do everything, you know, unless something went awry. And so then I ran through the shopping center to the other road, and she pulled up perfect timing, picked me up, and we will get out of there. Um, well, you missed the bank robbery part. What? I mean, they didn't, you went well, in the way you I wasn't going to talk about all that. No, I was going to say, so, um, wow, it's, I, I haven't really recounted it, I guess, in really specific terms, you know, since then. So, uh, forgive me if I'm a little slow sometimes. No, I, I, I'm just curious, cause, like, cause, sure. cause, you know, and, and we've, t- we talked about this, you know, off, like this is, I, you know, I've talked to guys who do podcasts and they're always like, um, like I've had guys actually say, well, I don't usually want to talk, talk to the guests, you know before the podcast. And it's like, really, because the, and I'm like, oh, I always yeah. thought, oh, that's rude. You're being a jerk or whatever. But the truth is, is that like, we had a great discussion sure. about adrenaline, about mm-hmm. like, you know, going in like, and, and that's what I'm wondering about is, is like, like going up to like me walking into a bank with fake credentials and everything. I have a certain, you know, you, you, the whole thing, you know, you, the adrenaline, you walk in, I, I know certain things. And I'm just wondering, like, were you, did you think about changing your mind? Like, were you, when you're walking towards that bank, are you just like, like tunnel vision? That's it. Okay. So it's like tunnel vision. Um, I'm doing this and that's it. Yep. Yep. I had, uh, I had tried to do it a couple of times myself and honestly pulled up in front of the bank and was just like, tried to psych myself up, whatever. No, just can't do it. Um, so I think it was having somebody else involved maybe that, that pushed me to go do it. Um, so we pull up, she had went in, uh, maybe four or five days earlier to just do something fake to see if they had a security guard or not. So we knew there wasn't a security guard, so I didn't have to worry about that. It's a fairly small bank. There was like maybe two, three tellers. I don't remember cause I had tunnel vision the whole time. So two, three tellers, you know, one person in the office, something like that. Um, got my devil's mask on. I got, I got a hoodie on so that I can cover myself up completely. Had on dishwashing gloves, actually, because the the vinyl gloves weren't that big of a deal yet. You know, you get in the boxes that they've got now. Right. Um, So I had dishwashing gloves because they would grip money good. Um, I wanted to have everything covered so I wouldn't leave any hair, DNA, anything like that. Um, (laughs) This is going to make Funniest thing is I used a BB gun. Are you over? (laughs) An unloaded BB gun. I knew I wasn't gonna shoot anybody. I didn't want to no. hurt anybody. But I know I know a guy that 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 used a uh, used a pellet gun and yeah. fired the pellet gun <laughs> in the middle of the robbery. He said he was his adrenaline. He was yelling. People weren't getting down fast enough. He was so I pulled the trigger and it ricocheted off the ceiling and hit a woman in, in the uh, in the calf and she screamed, "Ah, I've been hit!" And she falls down and he said I, he panics and runs out of the bank. Never got any money. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, he's like oh my god i shot her it's like how did you think you shot her you had a pelican it's like i don't know the I don't adrenaline know. I, I wasn't seeing you, straight you you can't think 
when you're doing that. I mean, it, it, it all is a blur. I mean, it really is. You know, at that time, I was 23 years old. I've been watching Point Break. You yeah. know, I go in like a gangbuster, got this gun, devil mask. I'm all hooked up. I go over, vault the counter, just go straight over the counter. Right. And start waving the gun around. I think I had a pillowcase at the time to put the money in. Fill these up with money, blah, 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 blah. Did that, jumped back over the counter and was gone. You know, were you worried it, about die packs or anything like that? Um, not really. Um, I had a friend of mine, one of the guys that I got in trouble with during the burglary, um, we had talked about doing a whole lot of things. And his mom was actually a bank teller. Okay. So when we started getting into doing some of this kind of stuff, he started talking to his mom bit. and asking questions to find out, you know, what was what. So we knew about what die packs look like. They're, they're a little bit thicker and they're heavier than a regular stack of money. So I knew kind of how to identify them, but mostly I just wanted to see if I could do it, I think, at that point. Um, so went in there, vaulted the counter, had him fill the bag up, got out. That's, that, when you said tunnel vision, that was really about the best way to describe it. Um, when you start going in there, that's your sole mission. And in my mind, you've got to get away. Yeah, yeah. So if there's a pile of shrubs or whatever out there, you're going through that shit. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you're going through, over, under, yeah. No matter, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, no matter what. Uh, and I've also come to the conclusion that fear will outrun anger. Yeah. If somebody's mad at you and they're chasing you and you're scared of them, you're probably going to run faster than they are because you're going to get that adrenaline going. So, well, when you go in the bank, I mean, like, like the it's just a bunch of tellers. Like, they immediately just go in the drawers and just start handing over the money right away. Like, that nobody puts up a fight, nobody says anything, nobody just runs, nothing. They just they kind of stand know. there in shock. Oh, they okay. stand there in shock for a second, so you kind of have to prod them along. Um, you know, tell yeah. them do it now. You know, right? Put it in here. So, because they'll just stand there in shock yeah. until you. God, and they're trained. I mean, they're like they they're they're trained mm -hmm. to don't give the guy any trouble. Just give him the yep. money immediately. It's not your money. Give it to him. Get right. him out of the bank. Like they wanted to get you out of the bank before something happens to us, customer yes. or right. And that was one of the things that I found out from that friend of mine who talked to his mom was that they are trained to do whatever. Um, yeah. In fact, one of the ones that I did, I carried in a, a walkie-talkie with me, and I told them I said, "Don't hit the alarm. I got a police scanner, and I'll know if you do." All right. I didn't know it until later after I got arrested and everything. When I looked at the paperwork, I found out that they did not hit the alarm. Right. They waited until I left and called 911. So if I would have gotten to do any more, if I would have had that knowledge, I would have seen if I could make them cluck like a chicken or something. Right. You know, <laughs> just so, something off the wall just to see. <laughs> so, um, so you got the money and mm -hmm. you're out of the bank. Out of the bank. We take off. We'd found a, a route that would get us quickly to another town. And her friend worked as a bartender in Applebee's. So we said, we'll get there as quick as we can. Right. And then she'll swear we were there the whole time at Applebee's right, hanging right, out. Right. So we did that and uh, went and had a couple of drinks just for appearances. And then we went back out to the car and started looking at everything. Um, what, what year was this in? 1995, November of 95. Right, because there's no, it's not like there's cameras on every, like right now there's cameras just everywhere. Everywhere. I mean, they, um, they can walk around, they can do a small perimeter and find somewhere where they've got your tag number. Somebody, yep. some yeah. some business, someplace has a tag number yep. or something. Yeah, but back then we didn't have to worry about that. You know, yeah. they, they weren't even, they weren't even on the outside of the banks. Um, so I had her pull right up to the front and drop me off at the door. Um, so we got home and we went through the money and we had $5,000. 
Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. They, I heard that like the average bank robber gets thirty five hundred bucks. Like that's the average or something like that. It's not very high. No, it, I mean, and that was that was. I heard that by the way. I heard that before I even went to prison. I don't know right. if it's higher now, but five grand. Yeah, got five grand. I was mad as hell. Not gonna lie, I'm like, man, we just robbed a bank. We got five thousand dollars. You're looking at like with a gu- with a gun because it doesn't matter that it's a pellet gun. At that time, it did. Oh, it did? Yeah, the law had changed since then. Because they're like seven years, like minimum, you're getting set like seven years. Just for a gun, yeah. Yeah. Um, Back at that time, it was just counted, I think, as a weapon. But it wasn't considered a firearm because it has to be propelled by an explosion. Right. So, yeah, we're we're mad as hell. You know, we got $5,000. That goes pretty quick in any kind of world. And if you're partying, it goes even quicker. Yeah. So a month, to the day, a month. December 7th, 1995, um, we found another bank we were going to do. And well, this, your, your girl's down. She like, is. She's down for she anything, was, bro. That's. Yep. yep. She was. Because she's robbing the bank. She yeah, was, she's oh, she's yeah. probably thinking, no, no, I'm just driving the car. No. No. <laughs> You're getting charged with bank yep. robber. Conspiracy yep. to rob a bank. The way they've got it turned is a hand in one is a hand in all. Yeah. So if you have anything to do with it, you're all the way in. But yeah, she was she was as dumb as I was. So, <laughs> um, so we ran through that party and, you know, just that's not an exciting story at all. So we found a second one and we went to do it and it was set up a little bit differently. So there was a big parking lot for a grocery store and a couple of little stores beside it. And there was a couple of trees over there. So she was going to go park in the parking lot and I was going to hit the bank and then go over to the parking lot and get in the car. Um, went into this bank same way. Um, I think I, I had a little bit of super villain in me and wanted to be notorious. So I wore the same devil's mask as I did in the first one. Nice. Um, so yeah, <laughs> make sure there's a link. There. <laughs> right. You gotta do that. Cause it I'm, does seem, it does seem cool to have a theme, you know, it does. You it know, does. I wanted to be the Joker or in something. In the movie, so. it seems yeah. in the movie version, it's yeah. cool. But in reality, it's like, eh, I really want to do this vastly different. So right. They catch me for one. They got me for one. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I, I get it. I'd have done the same fucking thing. Yeah. You know, so did that, went in, um, did the same exact way, had, you know, the mask, hoodie, gloves, had the be gun, vaulted the counter like I did before and jumped over the counter and told them to fill the bags up. They filled the suitcase or the pillowcase up and I thought about that $5,000 and I said, this ain't right. Where's where's the big money? Where's right. where's the other money? Well, as it turns out, the the they've got a top drawer, which is the till, like you'd have at a grocery store or something. Yeah. There's a drawer underneath it that's got all the banded money where they can refill their drawer. So... I was like, yeah, put all that in here too. So they put all that in there. I take off out of there and there was, as I run out the back door of the bank and go this way, I ran by the drive-thru and there was a woman in the drive-thru sitting there gawking at me. So I ran up to her car and I tapped on the window and I was like, you gotta go. And she just looked at me and I said, go. And she beat feet out of there. I still don't know to this day if that's, the the person that followed us, but somebody followed us from the bank. Um, went back to a friend of mine's house that I was staying with at the time, dropped my car off and got her car, switched everything over, went to her house to do all the counting of the money. So we get back there and I took all the money into the bedroom and was sitting there starting to go through it and count it, 
had pencil and paper, so I write everything now. I'm all excited, you know. Yeah, this is going to be a lot better than five thousand dollars. Yeah, you know, and all that. I get started with it. It's a great big pile in the bed, and I'm all happy and whatnot. And she comes walking in there, and she's like, "Hey, baby, there's a cop car outside." Ooh. I was like, "Just one?" She said, "Yeah." Oh, I no. said, "Okay, well, if it's just one, that's fine." And she said, "Uh, now there's two. <laughs> Shit, <laughs> you know." So. Well, sweetie, you're going to have to take this money and go out there and just admit <laughs> what you did. <laughs> yep. So, of course, being the... I'm going to put money on your books. <laughs> I'll stay out here. I'll stay and, out here and take care yes, of you. Yep. Exactly. Yep. So, we said, you know, we're just sitting there stunned for a moment. And her sister lived next door to us. It was family land and all that. So, we get a phone call and it's her sister. And she's like... There's people from the FBI over here saying that y'all robbed a bank and need to come outside. Oh, shit. Which I already knew once. Once we knew there was two cops out there, that's. I know, over. but you have to. You have to admit, like, even when things were going wrong in my case, there was still this little part in me that said it's a coincidence. It's not. They're not going to figure it out. It's not like it's it, up right up until you hear the voice and they say it. It's like then it's just like this. Just makes it real. It's so real. It's yeah. like suddenly it's like, so oh, real. There's just there, at least before there was a one percent chance. Yeah, there's no that sliver. Chance. Well, my philosophy when I plan these things was always that if I can get away from the bank, you'll be all right. I'll be fine. Yeah, but now you've got this money with bands on it, and yeah, but that wouldn't that didn't mess us up. I mean, oh okay, there was. I would think that the I, bands could be tracked back to that bank or something. Like, I, mean, I would think something. I would be concerned. Like, Well, we got caught on that one, so. Yeah, yeah. No, no, that's what I mean. I'm yeah. saying, like, if you're – I thought you were trying to say that I figured even if they caught me when I was away from the bank, I could still say that wasn't right. me, but but not if they've got the bands the on bands the money. And all, yeah, no. I'm still thinking I, I, you're I still got what you're room. saying. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, you they know. They ask you to politely come out. They ask us to politely come out. I go and look out the window, and by that time, there's, like, 10, 12 cop cars out there and they're all behind their cars with guns out because they think we've got a gun because I had a BB gun. Yeah. So they think we're armed and dangerous. And that's when I decided I wasn't ready to die yet. I wasn't going to run out there and hail the bullets because yeah, yeah. that was my idea. I was, fuck it, I'm not going to let them take me alive. Um, yeah, that's that's a bunch of macho bullshit. So <laughs> the, what was it? Sundance? Uh, what's the name of the Sundance kid? Butch Cassidy, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance and Sun- kid. Yeah. Yep. It sounds, it's beautiful. It's a, it's very romantic. It is. No. Yeah. Only if you get to leave the theater afterwards. <laughs> that definitely helps. So we sit there for maybe three or four minutes and like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Well, stupidly, we hide the hide the money and mask and everything under the bed, and they'll never find <laughs> they'll it. never find it there, right? This is here when we got here. We've been know, set up, yeah, right. Um, so we we go out and surrender, you know, and that was really all we could do. Um, they charged us with two banks. Um, I got sixty three months, I guess, so five years. Got into the federal system in ninety six. And it was a completely different federal system back then, too. They were oh, yeah. they were kind of phasing out the club fed days, right? You know, so it was still kind of sweet, yeah, but not as sweet as it was maybe five or ten years earlier. Um, so that was the first time, yeah, um, back in ninety five and ninety six. Um, didn't do much in there really. Just you know, Where, where'd you go? Uh, spent most of it at Butner, up in North Carolina. Um, 
I signed up just to kind of break my time up to go to the drug program, and they sent me to Lexington, Kentucky for that. Was that RDAP? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. It was – I'm not even sure if they called it RDAP back then, but it was something. Okay. It was, it was an intensive residential drug program. All right. So I went up there, didn't like it, purposefully pretty much flunked out, just right. messed with the DTSs enough to where like, yeah, get out of here. So I went back to Butner and finished it up there. Um, got out, met a girl, got married, um, bought a house, was doing great. Everything's fantastic um, for about seven years. And I think it was that, that memory of prison that kept me on the straight and narrow for a little while, try to build something. And then one day, about 2007, I was just like, this isn't what I want. I'm leaving. Left her, um, gave her the house, said, I'm, I'm out. So I went off and that started a whole nother spate of just partying all the time, you know, jumping into this relationships, whatever. I was good for 16 years and that's how long it stuck with me, I guess. And then I got into another situation with the girl and- What were you doing for work at this time? Like warehouse work, menial, general labor, labor right. stuff really, you know? Um, like I said before, I always had a problem with the job because I knew that they were just using me to make money for themselves and get themselves rich. Right. And I always thought enough of myself to think you should be the guy up there at the top. That's you, then you gotta then you gotta work and work your way up there. You do. You or really you, do. Or you hit the lottery, yep. or you have to have a rich, rich par- family rich member. Rich parents will help. Or yep. but you don't have any of that, then you work your way up. Yep, you got to work your way up. But at that time, I wasn't willing to do that. Yeah. So. Um, I worked odd jobs here and there, tried business ventures with friends and whatnot. But when you're partying all the time, that's your, yeah, yeah, that's your, your mission. You're not, you're doing this to be able to pay for partying. Yeah. You know, so nothing ever went anywhere. I had, had good ideas and had a lot of people that supported what I was trying to do, but I didn't have the follow through and whatnot to be able to, to pull it together. So yeah, I've shot myself in the foot quite a few times too, man. I'm telling you, dude, I'm like. I'm like the world master of self-sabotage. Um, and that's one of the things that I'm most aware of now of anything else is before I make any kind of big decision is make myself stop and think about it for a minute. Um, do an RSA. Huh? Do an RSA. Do an RSA. I can't even remember what it stands for. What is it? Rational, rational self-analysis. Rational self-analysis. I remember doing those damn things all the time. Good Lord. But but that's what a lot of people need. They just need, yeah, yeah. you have to stop for a minute well, because and think normal, about what you're doing. Normal people do that. Like nor, like they don't necessarily need it. You know, fuck ups need that. Like right. I need that because right. I'll take the shortest route. And but like a normal guy who's lived a good life and has and his thought processes are normal. He just naturally does it. So yeah. he doesn't understand how you came to your your you know analysis of the situation. Mm-mm. You know, because you immediately snap, or I snap, or I immediately say the first thing. Where these guys are, are a normal person. It's like, well, I want, I'm going to say this, but if I say this, this will happen, and that'll happen, and this will happen. But if I do this, then this is that, and that's what I want to happen. So I'm going to do this. Yeah, I don't do that. My, you know, well, I do now, but normally it's bucket. Let's let's fake it. Let's change this. Let's fix yep. this. Let's do this. Call so and so. I'll verify the employment. Like I immediately go fraud. I immediately think this is the easiest, quickest way to get yep. what I want, and it's guaranteed. Yeah. Even though it's not. No. I think it is. Yeah. But it's the same it's thing. Like the way it works in your head. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I always said to some of my guys in RDAP and stuff was if you worked as hard at trying to do something legitimate as you did at trying to do dirty shit, yeah. <laughs> then 
you'd probably be successful at it because you work very hard to be yeah. a criminal. And you keep it. Yeah, and you get to keep it. Nobody you, gets to come you, along and yeah, take it. You don't have to look over your shoulder. You don't have to go to prison. You don't have to disappoint your family. None of that stuff. So, um, so you, not all of that 16 years was a struggle. There was some of it that was good. Yeah. But I still had this mindset of just, I, I really don't know how to explain it other than just being a negative, angry person. You know, every little thing that would come my way that didn't go my way, it was terrible. And it would spiral into just being a miserable thing. And I had this one girlfriend that I had after I after I left my wife. We were together for about a year. And on our final big breakup, um, she just kept taunting me. She was trying to get me to hit her. Right. And she said, you know what you're going to do? You're going to die miserable and alone and unhappy. And man, that shit hit me. You know, I was like, damn, you're not happy. You're, yeah. you're almost never happy. Something can always be better. You always find something wrong with shit. So that was one of the big things that I worked on, you know, in the second time. And I finally got it turned around. But yeah, a lot of people just, like I said before, you know, there's two different kinds of people. There's people who don't understand Okay, why don't you understand that hard work pays off? I just don't think that way. We don't think the same. Yeah. So I trudged along and, and, and managed to survive, but that's really all I was doing was surviving. Um, being a taker, like I said before, you know, just just um, reaping the reaping the benefits of, of what my people who love me had done and borrowing money and staying at couches and everything else. Um, just being a user and a taker. All right. So I was living at my parents' house because they've got an RV and we're gone. And I met this girl and ended up moving her in with me and a couple of kids. And we ended up having a child. And that's when everything really changed for me in a couple of ways. Because in the first way that it changed me was it made me want to be this good person. But I never wanted that much responsibility in my life as having a child. So it kind of drove me a little bit insane at the same time. And her and I fought constantly. We were together for five and a half years. And out of all that time, we probably actually lived together maybe a year and a half, two years. The rest of the time, we fought so much that I couldn't stay there. Right. Or we'd just fight all the time. Um, had all kinds of arguments, just constantly. The pressure of being a dad, couldn't find a regular good job because I couldn't stop drinking long enough to be able. You know, right. I think the last year that I was out, I, I went through four jobs. Because I'd show up drunk. So, and they'd yeah, fire they, me. They don't like that. No, they tend not to. Yeah. So, I was at a point where I, I didn't want to live anymore. You know, um, like we were talking about before, I, I told one of my best friends when I was 30 that if my next 30 was going to be like the first, I didn't want to live them. I was just that miserable of a person inside and everything. So, at 45, in the situation I was in, I was, I was pretty much ready to kill myself. Um, I was just that low. Right. But I had this daughter, my only child. And how can I do that to her? You know, um, so in my mind, I think I had to do something to dramatically change the course of my life. Um, suicide wasn't going to be it. Didn't have any money. Screw it. I'm going to rob banks again. Um, threatened her with that a few times. And then I finally made good on it. I was like, you know. Couldn't work, couldn't stop drinking, couldn't do any of that. Screw it. I'm going to go back to what I know. I did it back in 95, so I've learned lessons from it. <laughs> right. Maybe I'll be better at it this time. <laughs> so um, started looking for banks. Found it. The first one I found was in my hometown. 
and the layout was really good. I was doing it by myself. I didn't have a driver this time. So, you know, I made sure I did things like parked far enough away from the bank that cameras wouldn't see my car. But you could still get to it. But I could still yeah. get to it. And there was some kind of sight line, something breaking up the sight line. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So like, so I get to the other side of something and then go away. Yeah. So the, so the tellers don't run outside and say he was in a blue Ford. Exactly. You know? yeah. yeah. No tags, no cameras, no nothing. Just far enough away to where I could get to it quickly. Because what I always figured when I was doing them was a minute, a minute or less. Door, right. door to door from the time I leave my door to the time I get back. And that's about what it takes. Yeah. Um, so I parked on another street and I remember when I was running to the bank, um, didn't have my mask on yet cause I wasn't close enough and I just stopped and I stood there for a minute. I was like, Justin, are you really going to do this? I was like, you're fucking a right. I am. And ran in there. Didn't use a gun this time. Um, didn't use anything. Still had a mask on, hoodie, gloves, all that. I think I took a grocery bag because I didn't really care. Um, but having learned from the last one, I just went in there. I said, well, you don't have to say much when you go in with a mask and gloves in a bank. They <laughs> kind of know what's already going on. So, um, But I'd go up with the bags, and I would hand each of the tellers a bag. All these are small banks. I never want anything because yeah. you, know, you don't want to have eight tellers that you got to manage with one person. So I went in, I handed them bags. I said, fill them up with money. I want the bottom drawers and the top drawers both. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not just getting those top drawers again. Um, did that and said, don't give me any dye packs and don't give me any tracers. Right. And at that point, they're still standing there looking at you kind of blank. So I was like, do it now. And that'd get them moving. So while they're filling the bags up, I do a loop around, you know, just spin around in the bank to make sure nobody else is making any kind of moves or anything. Right. And I take off and, you know, seconds later, I'm sprinting back to my car as hard as I can go, jump in the car, take off and go pass a cop on the way. Right. <laughs> he keeps on going. I keep on going like, okay, no, I'm good. I mean, no, like even though you didn't have a gun and you didn't make a threat, you didn't anything. They, they just handed over the money. Yep. Okay. Yep. That's what they're trying to do. No, I, I, I mean, I know guys yeah. who have robbed them with bank. I mean, robbed people are with a, a note. Um, but I also knew a, a guy who he said, he said, I, I have a, I have a weapon, give me the money. And the, the woman said, let me see the weapon. And he's so he wow. the weapon, and she's like, All right, fuck. And she was just, you know, she's a veteran. Yeah. She's, she's, <laughs> she's been, been robbed, she's been robbed before. Maybe she, many times. Yeah. She yeah. was kind of like, let me see the weapon, you know, cause he's yeah. got no math. He's like, Hey, give wow. me all the money in the thing. And she goes, let me see. The, and he goes, I got a weapon. She goes, let me see it. And he's like, Oh, okay. You're good. We're good. We're good. <laughs> she's got bigger balls than half the oh. convicts. I know. Oh, no, <laughs> um, so, and so you, you, you're gone. Got out of there. Um, called her and was like, meet me at this certain spot, handed her a band with $2,000. And she's like, Oh my God. I didn't think you were really going to do it. I was like, yeah, I, I did. Yeah. So ran around doing what I do, you know, partying, doing all that for a while. I think we got 17, 18,000 out of that one. Um, that, that other one where we got busted on before back in the nineties. Oh, yeah. How much was that? Um, 22. Okay. 22 and some change. So figured out that was the trick. So yeah, yeah. that was half of my logic going into this with a foggy drunk brain is, oh, you can do it better this time. You know what yeah, you're yeah. doing. So You're a professional now. I'm a professional now, yeah. So did that, 
got away fine scot free um you know how money is if it's easy come it's easy go yeah yeah so that shit went quick yeah um so about another month later um ironically i went and hit the bank that i hit the very first time because I mean, it still had those three fences around it. It still had the same setup. So this time, because I didn't have a driver, I just pulled into the residential area behind the bank. It's the middle of the day. Everybody's at work. I just pulled in somebody's driveway, and there was a big enough hole in the in the privacy fence that I could squeeze through it, and I already scoped it out. So busted in there, went in, no gun, no note. I didn't want to leave anything behind. Right. I didn't need a note. And like I said, when you got a mask and everything, they know what it is. So went in that one, did it, went just fine. Um, got away 20000 or so off of that one. Nice. So that was about average, 20 to 22, 23. Um, ended up doing four before I got, before I got caught, got caught on the fourth one. Um, how did that, how that happen? Somebody uh, followed you or? Yep. Oh, okay. Yep. And I heard about it from a guy in jail, actually. Well, I knew kind of what went on, but it was it was funny the way it happened. I pulled out of the bank, went in, you know, about the same kind of thing, had the sight line broke up, pulled out of the bank and took off. And I was going to go up the road, take a left and take another left and get on the highway. So I go up here and I take a left and I see this car behind me. I'm like, OK, so I go up a little bit farther and I turn again. And the car turns again as well. Mm, so that's bad. So I'm like, okay, I'm gonna keep an eye on him for just another second, and then I'm, I, then I don't know what I'm gonna do, but I'm gonna have to do something. Yeah. <laughs> so I pull across the road instead of turning right, and as I pulled across the road, he came behind me, and that's, oh shit, what am I gonna do? Is this you just know? a regular person, or is this mm-hmm. a police officer? Yeah, he was in a little Hyundai something or another. Wow. Came out of a pawn shop that was close by. And just happened and to see you running or just happened to pick up on what was going on yep. and said, I'm going to follow this dude. Yep, and called 911. So after I got across the highway and started going down the road, I had blue lights behind me. Yeah. I knew at that point it was over, so I panicked and tried to run and crashed. And <laughs> oh, really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> you, I, look, I just robbed a bank 45 seconds ago. Right, I'm yeah. still like, Running from the I'm cops is like, the least of my problems. Yeah, that's the least of my problems. So I get blue lights behind me and I stomp on it and end up crashing into a tree. Um, I, I I was going to say, it, it, you know, that we talked about the Dipox. I, I knew a guy who robbed a bank with someone else, like actually took a hostage to get them in the bank, ooh. got a bunch of money, put it in there. It was, it was a blue die pack, had it in, they had it like in a bag and they were driving in like a, a stolen vehicle. And he's like, man, we're going like 50, 60 miles an hour. And we're driving, and the die pack goes off. Oh, and he wow. said, "You have no idea how much." <laughs> he said, how, "How much it blows apart." He said, "Blew apart," and he said, "The windshield straight blue." He said, "So I'm I'm covered halfway in blue. Mm-hmm. He's covered all in blue." He said, "The windows are completely." He said, "We're literally driving, rolling the windows down, trying to look out." He said, "It's that bad." <laughs> he said, "I finally had to stop, and we ran." He said, "We're running down the street, completely blue, covered." Yeah. Like it's, it's, it was, he said, and he said, and it stains and it was over. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I, I, I definitely, um, I can't imagine being drive, tr- trying to outrun the police. Especially with all that adrenaline. I mean, it's, it's 
so much adrenaline, Matt, that it, it, it about makes you sick. I yeah. mean, it, it, you, you're ready to throw up yeah. just because it's that much adrenaline. Oh, you know, guys will, guys will throw up. Um, like, they'll get into I had a buddy who got into a, a, a fight, and right after the fight, we were driving, and he said, pull over. Pulled over and puked. It was just the adrenaline. Like, the you adrenaline. Know, it, it hits everybody yeah. differently. Yeah, and it will definitely do that. The, the, that's where the tunnel vision came from. I mean, I, I remember specifically after that first one running to get to her car and literally I couldn't see anything in my peripheral vision. It was all just right in front of me, what I've got to do right now. So what? So the cops chase you, you lose control and wreck or? Yeah, um, they, they started chasing me. I wasn't really going fast. I was trying to figure out what to do, trying to calm my mind down because I still got all the adrenaline just going. I'm like, you got to stop and think. This yeah. person's following you. What are you going to do? Blue lights behind me. Shit. Hit the gas. Tried to make a turn that I knew I couldn't make. Right. But, you know, no matter how badass anybody says they are, when you're right in the middle of that shit, it's hard to think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so stomped on the gas, tried to make a turn I couldn't make. It was actually a little building I crashed into. Crashed into the building. Cops come running up, guns, all that. Yeah. Whatever. Fuck off. Did you get um, you get out and or they drag you out or uh, the car or did you get out and immediately just no he came over to me um, I was sitting there like well I mean I I hit a building at like forty five miles an hour oh okay so you were you're in bad shape right? yeah well I wasn't in bad shape but I was stunned you know at least airbag popped all that kind of stuff so I'm just kind of sitting there and he's next thing I know I got a gun in my face and yeah all that so um, yeah my fear you know my my fear to me that the whole out, trying to outrun the police, you know, to me, I'm already thinking, well, eventually they're going to catch me. And to the truth is I'm probably better off pulling over and trying to get out on my own because I may end up getting shot. You know, I, I you know, these guys, their adrenaline's going. They think I've got a gun. If they think I've got a gun, then I end up getting shot. When right. They, you know, so to me, I mean, I, and I've known guys who were being chased by the cops and they're like, literally like just hit the brakes and hit the brakes you know, pulled the emergency brake and jumped out of the car just as soon as it was done with their hands in the air, and, you know, and, and immediately dropped down on the ground because they were like, look, I mean, like, they'll shoot you in the car. Like, they, they can always say, I thought I saw a gun. I thought this. Oh, Some yeah. of the cops are super, um, I don't want to use the word vigilant, but they're just, they're just, they're just overly um, enthusiastic about possibly putting a bullet in somebody's head, you know, and you're, you just robbed the bank. You're running yeah. for the police. Yeah. He's, he's in fear. You know, he thinks maybe he might be oh, yeah. he might get shot, or they're just going to take advantage of the situation. You know, yep. not that all cops are bad, but sometimes you've got to. All you need is one dickhead, end up with a fucking bullet in your head, and that's all it takes. And there's plenty of them out there. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. yeah. So did that. Um, was standing there, and one of the cops was really cool to me. He's like, "You smoke?" He said, "You smoke?" And I was like, "Yeah." He said, you "Want a cigarette for you, Joe?" I was like, "Yeah, that'd be great." So I'm standing there. He moved the cuffs around to my front and gave me a cigarette. And I'm sitting there smoking it. And something that my girlfriend had said to me earlier that day, she's like, just please come home to me today. And in my drunken, stupid mind, I'm like, I got to get home to her. So I try to run. Oh, my God. What are you doing? I'm drunk. I'm, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm drunk, adrenaline, whatever it is. Um. So I run up to this one cop and I knock him down. He rolls down a hill. I find out later he broke his freaking ankle. Oh my god! So I'm like, they're just they're gonna crucify me. Um, but I tell you what, Matt, it, when it all comes down to it, when I landed in that jail cell, I passed out for like hours. Yeah. When I finally came to the first emotion that I really felt was, <sighs> right. 
it's over. Yeah, yeah. I, now I can try to rebuild from here. Um, it wasn't exactly relief, but it was. There was a sense of I can't. Yeah, yeah, keep it's, living it's this over. destructive life like I was. I've got to do something different. Um, and that's where I started trying to live for my daughter and said, okay, you got to figure out a different way to do shit. And this is your opportunity to do that. So, so I got, you know, how much jail time? was, jail was 10 times worse than it was in 95, 95, 96. There wasn't a lot of gang activity. The feds wasn't that big a thing back then. No, no, the feds were, uh, they were still looking at basically bank robbery, mobsters, yeah. like, like more but, high, I don't want to say highbrow, but you know, you know, more sophisticated types of crimes as opposed to now where it's basically almost like a state prison. Yeah. Um, it's a big state prison. It's just a big state prison. I mean, if they decide they want to get you for seven grams mm-hmm. of Coke or meth or whatever, they're going to get you with seven grams and lock you up for 10 years. Yeah. So the, 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 the people that I met in prison the first time as opposed to the people that I met in prison the second time was so vastly different. Mm-hmm. I remember when I got out the first time, I, one of the things that I said often was I met a higher caliber of person in prison than I did outside of prison. Um, you know, we knew guys in there that, you know, they were smuggling opium from Afghanistan. You know, I had another guy that was, he was on the run for seven years in Colombia, um, before he finally got arrested and thrown in a Colombian prison and they extradited him. Um, so it was just, I met a lot of good people under that time. This time was completely different. There was all the gang activity. There was all these people that run around just on dumb shit all the time. Were you in a medium or? I started out in a medium, yeah. Okay. Started out at Beckley, West Virginia. Did you end up um, in, a, in a low? Ended up at a low uh, at, at yeah. Ashland, Kentucky. Um, got got nervous as hell because the first time I talked to my attorney, she's like, you know they're probably going to career criminal you over this. Um, you didn't know what that was. I was like, okay. All I know is that means a shitload of time. Yeah. So I was like, just flabbergasted. And I was like, well, she said, well, I got to check it out thoroughly to make sure, but I... I you're looking like that. So, and you know how public defenders are there. They'll talk to you once every month or two, maybe. Yeah, yeah. So I'm sitting here for weeks just bugging out, thinking I'm going to prison for 20 years. Um, as it turns out, the way it works is that 15 years from the last time you were incarcerated for a crime. Right. 15 years is the cutoff for whether Before it's they, career so they, criminal. They, oh, okay. So they can't use those crimes against you for right. the purposes of career criminal. Now, I had five years of supervised release when I got out back in 2000. Had I violated and gone back to prison for at any time for any amount of time, it would have counted. Yeah. And I would have been career criminal. But because that didn't happen, and like I said, I did learn a little bit from the first one, so I didn't use a weapon. I didn't threaten anybody, any of that. Um, I got 45 months. Nice. Um, I did a plea deal. I had four banks. I did a plea deal. They dropped two of them in exchange for a guilty plea for two of them. So I got counted for two bank robberies and got a 45 month sentence. Did 35 months. Yeah, and roughly. That was, okay. So and, yeah, I knew a guy who robbed a couple of, or uh, I think he robbed three banks with a with a note. He got uh, roughly, basically like. 30, I want to say 36 months, might have been 40 months, but roughly yeah. the same amount of time. Sounds about right. Yeah. I mean, and when you tell people that in the feds that are just getting in and stuff, they're like, why the hell didn't I rob banks instead of selling drugs? Yeah. 
or listen, counterfeiting too is is another one that yeah. you these guys that can counterfeit like they they tend to get very little time for something that to me has could have huge a huge potential as long as you're not using a weapon. Listen, the moment you start using a weapon, they have an issue with anything. Yeah, with anything. Well, see, here's the thing about counterfeiting because, of course, you know, at 23, I'm in prison. I'm I'm still fairly criminally minded, right? So I'm going through the sentencing guideline manual. You know, the book they use to yeah. to decide, and I'm looking for what's got the least amount of time, <laughs> and right. counterfeiting was it. Yeah. But what I learned later on was that the feds will actually take it, and they'll count each bill as a charge. They can. Or they'll they'll stack it. But if you take the a best plea, you know, typically you can right. take a plea. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But if you, like, go to trial, yeah. oh, no, you're done. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's just – now we have the opportunity to really – just destroy you. Like oh, yeah. we can give you 30 years. You could have taken three years. Now we're going to give you 30 yep. because you passed $500,000 worth of fucking money. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. every, every dollar bill is, is possibly a three year charge. Yeah. So, yeah. um, man. Um, oh gosh. Oh uh, gosh. I talked to a guy the other day that, that uh, actually Chad, um, Marks. Uh, Chad Marks. Yeah. He mm-hmm. actually, I think got 40 years. He actually went to, pr- I mean, he actually went to trial. It's like you're uh, guilty. Like, what are you doing? You're guilty. He's like, ah, I thought this, I thought that, you know. But yeah, he got 40 years um, for something that he probably could have gotten, you know, 10 or 15 for yeah. something like that. I don't know Chad well, but we've I've I've seen his his post on Facebook a good yeah. bit. He's very active in the in the in the community with trying to help people out now. So yeah, yeah, he's he's um, he's, he's and he's a nice guy. Like he's genuinely sure. like. Well, I talked to him before we we did the podcast for like twenty minutes, and and just seems like a nice guy. He was telling me uh, all the different things that he's doing, and he's like, look, you know, he got clemency, okay. or is it, I don't know. Uh, it's 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 I want to say clemency, but it's I don't think it was. It was basically what I think they modify. They knock off time off your sentence. They modify it. So there's okay. another name for it, but right. Anyway, um, or was it the Second Chance Act because of – no, no. Anyway, w- whatever. The point is is that he got out. He did like 17 years, and uh, now he runs a legal – he runs a consulting firm. He also runs a um, – he also runs a, a – what do they call it? Um, it's like a legal – he does legal work for, for, mm-hmm. for people. Um, and he's doing some great work from everything I've seen because I've, I've seen him getting some people off. And- yeah, well, he and this other guy uh, that was on 60 Minutes, like they've won like sorcery in front of the, the Supreme Court. Like, like, like they've done stuff that like career lawyers who have been doing it 20 years don't do. Right. And, these, and he's doing great work. But then again, he also had 16 years to hone his craft – or no, 17 years to hone his craft. I mean, for God's yeah. sakes. Yeah, because you have to find something to do with your time in there. Yeah. You know, that's one of the things we always said. I'm sure you've heard it. You know, everybody has got their own way of doing time. Yeah. Some people, you know, go grab a Bible. Some people exercise. Um, well, some people do legal work and hang out in the law library all the time. Well, that's what I said was, um, you know, I, I, I didn't want to play. I didn't want to join a softball league. You know, I didn't right. want to learn how to be a, uh, a chef, you know, because they have the, the culinary arts. They had culinary oh, arts. They? So I didn't want to be a chef. A chef. I don't want to be. I didn't want to join a softball league. You know, I didn't want to play handball. I didn't. So I didn't want to learn to play the guitar. So you know, what I'm saying there's like all these things that. But listen, there are guys that are amazing in there. That like oh, play the guitar, and you're like, oh my god, like this guy is phenomenal. And, and they join bands, and they're they're mm-hmm. amazing. But I, you know, I just started realizing. I started talking. Like I would talk to someone like you, mm-hmm. and you hear their story, maybe bits and pieces, and then one day you maybe even you hear it in two hours. They tell you their whole story because they have plenty of time. So they, they drag it out. They tell you every little instance, and then by the end of it, like if you can keep me, you know, like 
wow. I mean, like, like, yeah. like Bozak, when I talked to him, we talked for like two hours or so in the cafeteria. And I mean, the, like at the end of it, I was like, bro, we got to, we, you got to write this down. Like we, we, we got to do yeah. something with what this. What can like, we do with this? This is a great story. <laughs> mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's the same thing. And then, you know, the problem is you meet so many guys like that, but nobody can write their stories. Like they can't write their stories. It's mm. very difficult to write your own. You wrote your own story. It is. You know, it's hard. It's tough. It's hard to see you as you truly are. So what happens is people write their stories. They become like a, like a superhero. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, but that's not really you. You right. really, like, as I was wrote, writing my story, I kind of started to realize I'm a dickhead. Like, this is not really, if I had to rewrite it multiple times to kind of go back and realize, yeah. you know, you made your sound, self sound like a supervillain, but the truth is, you know, this was stupid. You, this, you're a dickhead here. You don't mention that you were scared to death. And that's what I was about to come out of my mouth was I was scared to death the whole fucking time. Yeah. Um, yeah, but the amount of talent in there is amazing. I met so many talented people in there, charismatic, good people. You know, they just, they're wired differently. We're, yeah. And, well, you know, Boziak and I were talking about this the other day. Uh, Boziak's a guy that yeah. I do, um, uh, others, I do uh, other uh, podcasts with, and we were right. talking about, we were answering questions, and one of them was like, what programs would be good? And we talked about RDAP. He and mm-hmm. I had talked about RDAP, and you and I had talked about RDAP. But the problem is, is like, because, you know, recidivism is ridiculous. It's, like that, It's through the roof. And, well, but you're you're so set up to fail when you get out. Yeah. And and I'm not saying that a lot of these guys aren't they're just not putting enough effort in. Um, but also like there's no one, I think everybody should have to take an RDAP tile, either program something inside or out. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could scale down RDAP so that it was just about behavior modification. Because a lot of it's just, RDAP really, 95% of it is behavior modification. So some type of a program like that, there should be more of an incentive to take the program and pass it. You know, a year, okay, but you go through hell for that year. And if you could could give everybody that year, and then people go to RDAP, maybe they get two years. So there should be more of an incentive. And then when people get out, like, I got lucky. I got out, I had like three, four dollars to my name. Right. So I had a little bit of money only because I wrote books and I got lucky and was able to actually get a book deal, a couple book deals while I was incarcerated. And I, I, I was a part of an option of one of my books. So that money was basically gone by the time I got out. Sure. Luckily, while I was incarcerated, after going to Walmart and spending $300 of my money that I paid, you know, of my own money. Right. Luckily, a few weeks later, the option hit again. And I got a nice little chunk of money. I was able to buy a a new a, a Jeep, mm-hmm. um, and and you know, I was, and get a year's worth of insurance, and and had a, enough money. I remember I had a thousand dollars left over, and I thought this thousand dollars I'm putting it aside in case anything breaks on the Jeep. But I saw so many people would go. They have their family was would come in. They would give them a bunch of money. They would. You know, they would they would they would help them, they'd come visit them, they've got a place to stay, they've got everything. And with their first paycheck, they're buying a hundred and fifty dollar pair of Nikes. Yep. And it's like, your family gave you a chunk of money, you your brother in law got you a job, your everybody pulled together, and with the first bit of money you got, you spent it on a hundred and fifty dollar pair of fucking Nikes, you're coming straight back to prison. Like and they do because their mindset is, I still want to be a baller. I still want to impress anybody. I still want, listen, I cry broke all the time. Yep. Everything I've bought, did you know, I've, I don't think I've bought 
No, that's not true. Okay, that's not true. The only thing I don't buy at Ross or uh, Marshalls, um, the only thing I don't buy is these T-shirts because I buy these T-shirts at um, at Target because right. I really like the way they fit. And you can get two for, I think, 26 bucks. So they're like 13 bucks a piece. To me, that's a lot of money for a T-shirt. Right. Everything I buy is at, is at Ross, Marshalls, Bells, everything. I'm exactly the same way. If you give me a million dollars right now, I can't imagine spending. I used to buy blue jeans that were two, three hundred bucks for a pair of blue jeans. I still have blue jeans. <laughs> I still have blue jeans that I bought in Walmart three right. years ago. And I'm glad. Yeah. I mean, I was actually... Uh, when I was riding down here, I had a buddy come with me and we were talking, you know, just about your story and a little right. bit and stuff. And, and one of the things that occurred to me, I was like, I wonder how that is to, to live the way you lived, you know, cause you had an exorbitant amount of money. And then to get out here and not have that it, had to be kind of tough. It, it's on, on, and you, you know, I get it. It would be different if it was, the difference is it's not like I was still out and lost it right. when I went to prison. You know that. So by the time thirteen years goes by, and right. you get out of prison after thirteen years of me, all the money I use, I, I spent on core links, so I could write mm-hmm. stories, okay. print them out, email them to people to put into Word, and gotcha. and then send them back. Like I had a whole process down. Right. So all I, I'm eating, I'm eating soups. Mm-hmm. I'm eating every meal, every meal I ate at, at the Chow Hall. Yeah. And. You know, look, some of those meals are, are good. Some are good meals. Hey, some are horrible. Some are horrible. But, you know, it, it listen. When It'll I was, fill you up. They, it, yeah, you, you, you'll stay alive. You, yeah. you can be fine. Yeah. Um, didn't go to commissary a lot. And when I did, I bought coffee or creamer. I, usually, I, I taught the real estate class, so guys would give me coffee and creamer. Gotcha. For, for I hustled uh, uh, certificates. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, but getting out here, I think after going through RDAP, and being so humbled mm-hmm. that, and, and even even now I get out and I have those moments where I want to buy a new vehicle and I can afford that and I can and it's like, bro, what are you doing? You've got a brand new car. Like I bought a, I got a, I got a little Jeep Compass. Yep. It, it's, to me, I always say it's a chick's Jeep. I got a little chick Jeep. <laughs> Everything works. The AC works. The the, the brakes work. The it's got Bluetooth. That's magic to me, it, I mean, isn't it? Everything. Yeah. So so I just have to keep. Telling, be trying to be humble, and it, you could ask my girlfriend. It's hard. She's constantly looking at me. I'll say <laughs> something, and she'll look at me, and I'll be like, "Fuck!" Like, you're right. You have to be yeah. thankful and humble, and I have to remind myself over and over and over again to do it. Yep. Because naturally, I, you know, I naturally I I, I want to be driving. I want to drive a, I want to drive a hundred thousand dollar car. I want to live in a half a million dollar house. Which in Florida is a million dollar house anywhere else. I was gonna say in Florida, that's a shack, isn't it? <laughs> uh, no, no, in Florida, half a million dollars. That's a, that's like a million. Money goes far in Florida. Really? Yeah, as long oh, as you're okay. not on the coast. Ah, look, you sense. saw where yeah, we yeah. are. Like yeah, this house. Yeah. No, I get that. Is probably worth. I think these things are. This is selling for like. This is like a three hundred thousand dollar house. Okay. But bro, this house is huge. It's yeah, brand it's, new. It's, it's a year and a half old. Okay. Now you know somewhere else it probably in California it's probably worth two million. Right. Yeah. So I'm saying, you know, I just have to constantly be humble and 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 try and be thankful for what I have, and 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 I think that's something that prison and RDAP put into me because I had a friend named uh, Pete who used to say, and I've, I've everybody's heard me say this, you know, you cannot go to prison with the same mindset that you had prior to prison. Go through prison and get out with that same 
that those same thought patterns mm-hmm. and not expect to go back to prison. You really can't. Right. I and mean, you, you, we were talking about that earlier. You, you know, know, definition of insanity. Yeah, yeah. Keep you, doing the same thing yeah. over and over and expect a different result. Right. I mean, it's the same thing. Look, you drank that whole time. Mm-hmm. You, you happen to stay straight, but only out of the fear of going to prison. And then you got, finally got to that point. Same same issue you had mm-hmm. before. Yep. Start robbing banks. Go right back to prison. I mean, what did you expect? Of course, you're going to go back to prison. Yeah. Nothing had changed. Nothing right. had changed in my mindset. Nothing had changed in my personality. And, you know, it goes back to what I was talking about with recovery. Until you're ready to do that. Right. And whatever it takes to get you to that place where you're ready to do that, you're not going to do it. So, well, so you're, but now you got out. You're, 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 try, you're starting. You, you've started it, but you're still doing the groundwork for, um, for a reentry program, Phoenix right. Reentry. Yeah. Um, Is that the exact name? Phoenix. Phoenix Phoenix Reentry Resources Resources is actually what it is. Um, when we were in RDAP, I don't know if you guys had to do this or not, but you had to be a part of a committee. Of course, of course. So I had a friend of mine. Let me tell you a quick story about RDAP, right quick, because you right. were talking about how you kept dropping out of RDAP or something. Yeah, I dropped out twice. Okay, so let me tell you how I got into RDAP because because I was in for robbing banks. No matter whether I used a gun or not, it was considered a violent offense. They don't want to give you one year off. They wouldn't give me my one year off. So I'd been at Beckley for about two years, and my custody level dropped to a low. So they were they put me in for a low, and when I got designated, they designated me for Oakdale, Louisiana. It was SCI Oakdale. I was like, where the hell is Oakdale? Right. I had to look it up and find out it was in Louisiana. So they got me designated to go there. I talked to my mom. She's like, Justin, that's 800 miles away. Yeah. We're not going to be able to bring your daughter to see you. Yeah. You're going you're gonna to miss that. So I'm sitting here brainstorming. You know, I'm talking to everybody. They're like, well, if you get a shot, it'll kill your transfer, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, ah. The RDAP coordinators have almost as much power as the wardens. wardens, Right. And the one that we had um, at Beckley, I had interactions with him. He seemed like he was one of the only people there that at least acted like he cared, whether he did or not, he acted like it. Right. So I snagged him going across the compound one day, and I said, look. And I went and basically fed him this whole line about family acceptance and whatever, blah, blah, blah. I need to be in RDAP. I need to be in this RDAP, whatever. He starts getting on the phone and making arrangements to get me into RDAP. And it ended up the the morning, one Monday morning, I was on the call out to go to R&D to pack out to go to Oakdale. And I was on the call out to go over to move to the the RDAP, (laughs) to the RDAP building. So everybody's kind of freaking out a little bit, figuring out what to do with me. This guy stayed on the phone all day to get me to be able to stay in that RDAP program. So I just thought it was funny when you were talking about that earlier. I, I meant to mention that, but uh, no, no, you're it's the same. You're lucky you didn't end up on a bus, man. You ain't even kidding. You um, ain't even kidding. because I very seldom do they they uh, stop a transfer. They have to make the phone. You know, they have to they have to go to. Um, Shoot, what is it? Um, Grand Prairie. Grand Prairie, thank yeah. you. They got to go to Brent Grand Prairie. You get somebody mm-hmm. even on the phone there is hard, for, even for them. So mm-hmm. I mean, you got lucky. But that was the same thing. I was supposed to be transferred. It hadn't gone through. Right. But they were saying, we're going to transfer you. And I said, oh, no, no, I'm going to NARDAP. Can't do that. So I go over there immediately, talk to Dr. Smith, which was yep. the PhD woman that runs the program. You know, the, what that you're saying, their coordinator? You're calling yeah, it. Yeah, they a, call it DAPC. Right, yeah, DAPC. <laughs> 
Nothing. Yeah, see, see no. we used to yeah, run yeah, RSA so and did the same funny. thing to me. I was like, RSA, I ain't heard that shit in a while. Um, so same thing. She she mm-hmm. uh, she got me in there, and then of course six seven months later, I drop out again. Yeah, and she just was. No, she thinks I'm there because I want the one year. Yeah, you know, I never okay. told anybody, right? right? I mean, like my buddy Pete knows. I drop out because I figure I got the uh, I've got a management variable on me. You can't move me now. Mm-hmm. It's good for a year. Six, no, about three months later, they call me and they go, "Okay, we're going to transfer you." And I went well, for, for, to a camp because I, I had like, listen, I, when I went to the medium, I had like, a, I had like three points. It, I don't have yeah. any violence at all. It kind of surprised me when I heard you were even at a medium. Well, but. because I had twenty six years. Okay, at See, the time, yeah. right? So. I was like, what are you talking about? You know, I was like, no, no, I, I got a, a management variable. She said, I know, but they're pushing people to go to camps. And so I, I'm going to call and have it removed. And I'm like, like, I didn't know it was that easy. Like, you guys made it sound like you couldn't remove it. And, and they were like, well, I mean, in this case, man, we got to be people to camps. You should have never, you should have never been in the medium. You shouldn't even be here. And I was like, <laughs> you know. You're as soft as cotton. No. Um, <laughs> you got your female counselor telling you, my God. Um, and I was like, I was like, we can't do that. And she was, I said, I'm supposed to go back to RDAP. She goes, you are? And I was like, yeah. I said, I've already had a meeting with Dr. Smith. And I'm supposed, she said next, she goes, when? I go like next week. And she goes, oh gosh, okay, well, I'll hold off then. I won't put it in right now. Um, uh, uh, so hopefully you'll be on the call out next week. I said, yeah, definitely. Immediately go back and send, a, send an email. <laughs> yeah. And sure enough, luckily a week later, I w- did get a meeting. She said, okay, no problem. And a week later, she put me back in. But it was the same thing, transfer. Yeah, I mean, that's that's one of the things that you, you learn in there is is you've got to work You've got to work the system as much as you can. Oh, absolutely. And yeah. yeah, they're not looking out for you. No, no not at all. No. Um, it's it's a terrible whole system. I don't know if you have seen all the news stuff lately. It's just been oh look what with COVID? so much going on with with the BOP and oh they're falling um, apart. They're oh falling they are. Apart. I mean it's and it's, you know they can't. They're um, my buddy Pete who said literally he's like the most senior CO correctional officer, the most senior. You gotta try and use the correct because I want to say cop. You know what I'm saying? Like the inmates, CEOs, the yeah. inmates say cop. You know, yeah. oh yeah, the cops over here. The cop. So the most senior correctional officer on the compound at the low is has 18 months. You have to think the most senior before wow. would have 20 years. Yeah, you know, the, the there'd be five or 10 guys that have you know 15 and 20 years there. Mm-hmm. Now the most senior ones, 18 months. He's like literally. We're telling the counselors how things work. This is what you do. And they'll come to them and say, and say, hey, man, this is what's going on. What, what, like, I'm not even sure, you know, like, I don't oh, even yeah. know what. And then he's like, well, fuck, if you try this, did you call so-and-so? Did you say, yeah, 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 I'll do that. Yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. It's like, Jesus, God almighty. You know, you got inmates there have been there 25, 30 years, and they're like, they, like, they know the whole place. They could run yeah. the whole place practically. Yep. They could use a computer. But that's how bad it is, like, in the, the, the budget is they're being crushed by the budget you know they have no budget they have this this nobody wants to work there the the, the guys are getting sick, like the the COs are getting are getting are getting covid and then getting it again and then getting it again and then quitting their job like i'm done because yeah. it's so it's it's just everywhere in there it's so mm-hmm. you know not that it's dirty because coleman was super clean but the fact is, right. is how do you get rid of staff when you've got 180 guys living together you can wipe that place down every single day with peroxide or 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 bleach or whatever you want to wipe it down with you've got 180 guys you just can't get rid of the staff you just can't 
No. You know, the showers, you know, it's moist. There's the mm-hmm. no, you know, it's like, ha- you know, where's that? There's no, there's really no happy medium between keeping them in from escaping and being able to have um, showers and mm-hmm. toilets and sleeping in bunk beds. And, you know, it's just people just aren't meant to live like that. So it's a problem. Mm-hmm. No. And, and I kept up with, a handful of guys that I was in there with, you know, some of them in RDAP, whatever. And there was guys in there that didn't go outside for a year and a half. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, did not go outside. Yeah. Um, you know, they're on lockdown all the time. The short staffing thing is making them basically because the one thing that was ubiquitous all the way across the BOP that I saw was nobody really wanted to do any work. Yeah. CO wise. Yeah. Um, you go at, you go ask them to do something and that pisses them off. Yeah, they didn't get a job. So, they didn't get a job as a CEO because they wanted to change the system, right, clean no, up. Like no. I'll talk to cops who will say, you know, I genuinely, when I got hired, wanted to make a difference. Like I really yeah. thought you get a CEO job, you're like, I'm I'm trying to kick back and make and my make, eighty or hundred thousand yep. with some overtime. Yep, I don't want to do any work. I don't want to do any work. Right. So yeah, and uh, so they they now they put everybody on lockdown, like on the regular. You know, just. For no particular reason. Uh, y'all are getting locked down for the next week, two weeks. Well, I mean, because at this point, this is they're still able to use COVID as an excuse. As an excuse. And, and, you know, this is the thing whenever I talk about prison is that, you know, the truth is that I, I, I know a lot of guys get in there and they, they, they hate on the COs and they hate on the, you know, and look, but the truth is, is like, listen, like I probably I met one or two people who were in prison who probably shouldn't have been there you know what i'm saying maybe i've met five or six that shouldn't have been there for something now almost everybody across the board shouldn't have gotten the time they got like it's insane the time like yeah you know okay you broke the law you fucked up you need five years but they gave you 30 your first offense right or even (laughs) even their second offense for something that's always minor it's like are you so you had a gun that was at your house five miles away and they enhanced you because they found a gun when they searched your house that you didn't bring to the drug thing and now you got 15 years yeah because yeah it's like holy shit like you know it's it's there's there's all kinds of reasons but you know the 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 truth is is that look 95 percent of the guys that are locked up like i don't want them living in my neighborhood you know they're just they're they and, and not so much because not because they're criminals or they did something wrong but because they're in there and like we talked about, they're they're just plotting their next indictment. And to me, but also by the same token, the best people I've ever met in my life, I met in federal prison. So, you know what I'm saying? Like, where's that? Like, and, and that to me has to be, there need to be programs. And these guys are going to fuck them up. Right. They're going to fuck them up. Yeah, they're, they're they're not. There isn't any government system that's going to work to try no, to fix this. But just like RDAP, look, it doesn't matter that you're right. Half the guy, or eighty percent of the guys might be faking their way out. But to save the twenty percent is still saves so much for overall. It saves the taxpayers so much mm-hmm. money. They yes. don't. If you do the math, that program more than pays for itself, mm-hmm. and it saves the taxpayer so much money. Absolutely. And and what would save the taxpayer even more money? Is if these people had some way to get themselves back into society in a decent way. Because mm-hmm. the truth is, and this is what I was going to get at, and this is me just being a fucking narcissist, <laughs> is okay. that most guys are not going to have the savvy to set themselves up to be able to get themselves back on their feet 
even with the halfway house because because the, the staff at the halfway house doesn't want to help you. They're making ten bucks an hour. They don't give a shit. They hate you and they hate. They just hate you. Like, oh yeah, they're I, doing everything to want to fucking make it as hard as possible. Dude, I I, I had a dude made a statement and said that I hit him, that I punched him. Right, a halfway house staff. Well, I cussed at him a little bit because he took my phone. Everybody had smartphones. You're right. Everybody. He took mine. And he showed me where the, they put the rest of the phones. And we came out of there and I was cussing him. You know, I was mad. Took, right. my, took my brand new phone. And uh, So he, were you not allowed to have it when you were there? No. The the policy was that you could have uh, a phone that couldn't get internet. Yeah. I mean, it's just like stupid. It's just stupid. It's like, it is. Just like what are you doing? Yeah. Why? You're going to try to get us back in the community, but, but you're, don't, not, you're not going to give us any access to be able to do it. Right. I can't have my laptop. I can't have a smartphone yeah. or an iPhone or a cell phone or smart, whatever yeah. you want to call it. You know, I can't have any of that stuff. I can't have access to this. I can't. It's the, those, the halfway house is worse than being in prison. In, in, to me, it was. It was more. They were on me more. If you're not mentally prepared for it, right. you're right. Because it is, it's them giving you enough rope to hang yourself right. is what they're doing. It's a test, pretty much. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this guy accused me of hitting him. So I get called up there by the head of the halfway house. I don't know what they're called. So for the next 10 hours, I'm like, shit, I'm going back to jail because this son of a bitch lied on me. Yeah. No and, doubt. And I said, they're bugging out. 12, 15 hours later, within 24 hours, he recanted his statement, got to keep working there the whole rest of the time, yeah. everything. I'm like, you tried to get me sent back to prison. You get to keep your fucking job? Yeah. Yeah. So Probably because there was a camera, probably because somebody else wouldn't back up a statement. Not because he felt bad, but probably just because there was a reason he recanted his statement. Maybe, yeah. you know, where'd you get hit? Where's it on the camera? Where were you standing? Oh, okay, then the camera should have gotten. Or we talked to so-and-so. He said he didn't hit you. Yeah. Or, you know what I'm saying? It's yeah. like... It is. It's, yeah. it's a yeah. fucked up situation. He, he had to. But anyway, that's that's the kind of people we have to deal with in there. And it's the same way in prison. Guards are the same way. I mean, they know that you're disadvantaged. They have almost complete power over you. So they take advantage of that and they use it. To their, whatever they want to do to you, they can pretty much do. Yeah. So um, but you're absolutely right. Uh, there's a lot of people in there that that have tried to go through that change of mind like you and I have had. You know, because obviously you went through it too. You got in there and said, I can't do this shit anymore. Yeah. Let me live different. Um, when you talk about the resourcefulness to be able to get uh, to get their plan together and everything else, they might be able to do that, but the resources aren't really there for them to do that. All right. Um, you know, you, you, you can't even get a resume typed up in Word document or anything. You got to use a typewriter and put it on paper. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. It's... If you want to learn anything besides plumbing or construction, you're you're just shit out of luck. You can't get any of that stuff. So, but I believe that that prison is a place that you're taking a time out, and if you're going to be able to get through to somebody and and help them change their lives, that's the place to be able to do it because their life's pretty much on pause. Yeah. So when I was in RDAP and I helped my buddy Squirrel out and and. That was when the light went on for me, and I said, I, I want to help these people that are in there that want to do better, but they don't really have the resources to be able to do it. Yeah. Um, so when I got out, almost immediately when I got out, I started brainstorming about doing a reentry organization specifically for the feds. Um, I took about a month off when I first got out and just kind of got acclimated. I was fortunate enough. My parents were like, you know, come stay with us, and we'll try this again, you know, yeah. whatever. And uh, so I took a minute. 
And I went up to a temp agency, I remember, because they said, yeah, we got a job. It's okay that you got a felony. We'll, we'll, we'll get you into the job and everything. I get up there, and they pull up my background, and they're like, oh, no, we can't hire you. Uh, I was like, okay, well, that's fair enough. You know, they were nice about it and everything. So I go to drive away, and they called me, and they said, you need to call this person at the Justice Resource Center. And said they work in a reentry division. And as soon as I heard reentry, I was like, really? Okay. So I called. I didn't get that person. I got another another person that her and I sit there on the phone for like 45 minutes talking about reentry stuff. Um, and that led me down. She ended up getting me a job. But that led me down the path and introduced me to the whole reentry and recovery community up there in Asheville. Right. And uh, she told me, she said, you need to become a peer support specialist. And without even asking what it was, I knew what it was. And she told me it's somebody who uses their lived experience to be able to help others who are struggling with, you know, either either substance abuse or, or mental health challenges or whatever. Um, I came up with the idea of a phoenix one day when I was walking around the track in prison, and I was like, that's what I want to be. I want to be like a phoenix. You know, I've blown right. 45 years of my life up. I want to rise up out of these ashes and do something with myself. So... um. I came up with, with, with the Phoenix idea. Um, I had these five or six guys that I still talk to on the inside. So I started up a newsletter and just started working on putting the pieces together. You know, I don't know anything about business. I don't know anything about any of it. So it's, it's taken a lot longer than it would for somebody else. But I've been out for two years, June 26, and I've been working on this since I've been out. It's the longest project that I've ever worked on. It's the hardest that I've ever worked on anything. But I not, feel like, and it's not, bro. That's not like, like what you're talking about doing is not easy. No, you know what I'm saying? It's no. not like you're. It, so it's it, it's it's a lot of struggle with very little payoff. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, until you you reach that finish line, and yeah. even then, it'll be a struggle. Yeah. I mean, I'm like, I've got a lot going on right now, so I'm 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 wore out. But I know that if I push to the end of this, it's going to be it's going to work. Right. It's, it's going to. Um, there's a huge gap. I mean, we had a we had a book at Beckley that was like that thick of reentry resources. I sent out like 20 letters. You know how many I got back? Zero. Everything they've got is outdated. Everything yeah. that they've got is broken. And they really don't care. No, they're, they're not concerned about Did you guys have the computers? They had these reentry computers. You could go to the library, you could get on this reentry computer, and you could pull up supposedly resources. None of them are hooked to the internet. Yeah. So yep. none of them are updated. It's, yeah, yeah. it's useless. So what are the people doing there that really want to try to do something? If you're good and resourceful, you can find resources, but it'd be a lot better if they were available to them. Well, you know what's interesting now and now because of the COVID and stuff like like all e even all the stuff that is you could kind of manipulate to help you in some way, like getting a resume or something yep. that none of that's available no. now. No. So now you're in even a worse position mm -hmm. to get out of prison. Yep. Now you're really screwed and you get and then the halfway house like, OK, how much time do I get in halfway house? People are like, oh, it's great. You get to work and live there for free. They're taking 30 percent. Of, of what I make, yep. they're, they're, plus you're paying your taxes. So you end up, you're basically working for less than half. Yeah, because um, yeah, they take that 30% off your gross, not right. your. <laughs> right, so I'm working for less than half. So if I'm making, you know, whatever, you're making 15 bucks an hour, you're working for, now you're working for about six bucks an hour, mm -hmm. seven bucks an hour if you're lucky. And so, you know, you're trying to save that. You're trying to ride, drive the, like even after I got a vehicle, they wouldn't let me park it in the parking lot. 
That took another two weeks. So I had to have my buddy drive, take, keep my vehicle at his, at his gym for a couple weeks. Like a vehicle sitting in the parking lot for two weeks. Do you think that that's not a, a, an opportunity for somebody to steal the vehicle? I don't, I have PIP. I don't have liability. My car gets stolen. I'm done. It's right. not finance. I, I couldn't get financing because I wasn't allowed to get financing because I had to get permission to get financing. And they said, no, you can't get financing. You're in the halfway house. We're not allowing you to get financing. How am I supposed to buy a vehicle? Ask your ask your family. My family's not helping me. They don't have money to help their their convict brother who just got out of prison and lives in a halfway house. Like who would who would help me? Right. You know, like where are you gonna stay? Well, you could stay with your mother. My mother lives in a retirement community. I can't stay with my mother. Like mm-hmm. there are, you know what I'm saying? Like there was I was in a really bad spot. I got lucky that an ex-girlfriend took pity on me and said, you can live in my spare room. And then when I was like, I can't do that, I'm not gonna do that to you, I'm not gonna do that to you, you know, she was, she was like, no, no, you'd be helping me. You'd be helping me, it's like, stop. Like, I'm not helping you. Right. Like, I'm paying you like 600 bucks a, a, a month and you're throwing in food. I'm gonna right. eat you out of, the, out of that 600 right here and <laughs> fucking tea it. Right. You know, it, it got, listen, it got so bad, she, she finally came to me after a month or two and she's like, listen, I wasn't anticipating coffee. You drink a lot of coffee. And I was like, oh, I was like, well, how much? I'll pay it. I'll pay it. But it was the same thing. When my car broke down, on probation, my car broke down. I live like four miles to a bus stop. I'm not saying I can't I can't walk that in a mile. Right. I could take a mile, I could take an hour and walk that. Mm-hmm. I could get dropped off there and walk back. That's mm-hmm. a two couple of hours. Assuming the buses run on time. I could drive the bus for another hour and a half to where I worked. That's fine. I could spend an extra five hours a day for so that I could go work eight hours. I could do that. You're right. It's not impossible. Um, but I'll tell you what it doesn't do. It doesn't make me not want to commit fraud. So the fact is when my vehicle broke down and I went to my probation officer and I had $1,000 that I could get a new vehicle for, she said, you can't finance anything. And I was like, why? She said, well, you have a financial crime and we don't feel comfortable letting you finance anything. And I was like – I, I said, I don't have a car. She's always figure something out. I said, I don't have anything to figure out. My figuring it out is let me go buy a brand new vehicle, which I can afford because I, I have the pay stubs for. And I, luckily, I didn't listen to you people. And I went and got three credit cards when I was in the halfway house, which were, <laughs> which I, you know, I, I got secured credit cards because I knew this moment was going to come someday. Right. Sure. So luckily, I didn't listen to you. And I can do it, but you have to give me permission. We argued for two weeks before she finally said, I'll let you spend $300 a month on a new vehicle. I said, then I'll have to get a used vehicle. She said, then you get a used vehicle. I said, but don't you understand? If anything goes wrong with the used vehicle, I don't have the money to pay for the repairs. If I get a new vehicle, I at least get a bumper-to-bumper warranty. warranty. Yeah. I don't, I'm not trying to buy, get a brand-new Lexus or a Lamborghini or something or a Porsche. I'm trying to get the cheapest bumper-to-bumper I could get, which was my Jeep. Right. And so literally when I came back – I was allowed to spend 300 bucks. I spent 375 bucks. She was furious, <laughs> furious. And I was like, and I was just gambling that she wasn't going to violate me for an extra 75 bucks. But she could have. She could have. She could have. Absolutely. So I'm saying everything is against you. Yeah. You're, I mean, you can't get, people don't want to rent to you if you've got felonies. Um Oh yeah, that that list that they put out in prison of all these companies that hire felons. Yeah, they'll hire a felon if it's seven, ten, fifteen years old, but they're yeah. not hiring you straight out of prison. 
Um, yeah. It's not going to happen. Yeah. So, well, look, I mean, you know, it's obvious. The government's failed us in a lot of ways. Right. You but know, you can, you know, look, here's the problem. It's a, could you make it? You could make it, but it would take, it would take someone who is extremely resourceful, yes. manipulative, and someone that is super humble and super appreciative. I mean, you would have to change your mindset so fundamentally. And the mm-hmm. truth is, by the time you get out of prison, you're probably pretty fucked up. Yeah. You know? I mean, there's definitely some of that, yeah. Right. So, so if you haven't had some kind of a life-altering experience inside mm-hmm. prison to get you your head right mm-hmm. – it, it, you you got a long road ahead of you, and yeah. probably you're just going to get reincarcerated. I mean the way the way it works now, you almost have to be like the perfect candidate to turn your life around yeah. to be able to really do it. Right. You know, um, you know all those things you said: resourceful, smart, driven, humble. All those things have to be there. But there's a lot of people that are falling through the cracks just because it's so freaking hard to it, do. Not a lot of people, bro. It, it, it's, it's, what is recidivism? That's a massive, 60, that's, not, 60, a, that's 70. not cracks. That's people falling into a swimming pool. Then there's like, it's not like a, a little, there's, it's, it, it's really a few people, the people that are fa- falling through the cracks are the ones that are succeeding <laughs> because almost nobody succeeds. Right. If you look at recidivism, it's, it's fucking outrageous. It's, it's nuts. Absolutely it is. And I've seen people who have gotten out who seemed like they were going to do the right thing. They were going to do the right thing. And then one or two things go wrong. And the next thing you know, they're like, they're in such a jam. And what do they do? Mm-hmm. They go, they rob a bank or they yep. do something like that. I know guys that rob banks while they were in the halfway house. Yeah. I've, I know guys within a few months. Yeah. I've Listen, heard of that I know as guys, well. We, Jess and I knew a guy that literally would, was telling people in the halfway house that he was going to start, he was going to do heroin. He's like, I don't know how long I'll be on supervised release. He is because, I mean, I'm going to go back to heroin. I mean, I, I, I just, I love it, and I this, and I that. He died a year later. A year later, we got, she got uh, notified by a mutual friend that said, hey, remember so-and-so? Yeah, boom, here's his obituary. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, he didn't have, nobody ever talked to him. Right. He, he got in trouble for like, stealing it using company credit card he ended up getting like 14 months or something ridiculous didn't go to rdap didn't get this didn't get that got three months of halfway house put him back home he's back on fucking heroin boom he's dead yep i'm not saying that's the bop's fault or anybody's fault but his own but i'm saying you could have certainly oh and by the way this guy he was a um he was an engineer so he made over a hundred and something thousand dollars a year he had a it's not like he was a guy that 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 didn't didn't contribute a lot to society. This right. was a, an upstanding guy. Yeah, I, I've met guys from NASA. I've met lawyers. I've met doctors. I've met all kinds of super smart guys that end up in federal prison because yeah. they just they did something slightly stupid that in another country would have probably just gotten your probation. Yeah, said they get five years, ten years. They get back out. Everybody's left them. It's over. They're rebuilding their whole life. Yeah, got to rebuild your whole life. I mean, and it's true. It's. I think what I meant was you, you've got a – there's a good portion of them now, I think, that they, they, they don't know any other way. Yeah. You know, so you have to start at a fundamental level of retraining them how to live. Yeah. And I, I think I, – I, I never want to leave anybody behind, but certainly there's some people in there that are trying, that are trying a little harder than others. You know what I mean? Um, they're really trying to do something with themselves while they're in there. And then you got others that they jump in there and, and they jump straight into the dope game in there. Yeah. Cause a lot of people that haven't been in prison, they don't understand it's, it's 
just like in society in there. It's just like it is out here. You can't have booze unless you can get it smuggled in, you know. Yeah. Um, those kind of things. But it's it's just a regular society. So people jump into it there and they never they never leave that. They're not ready to move on from that mindset, I guess is what I'm getting at. So but the people that are they're still hard-pressed for resources. They're hard-pressed for – there is no planning going into them getting out. Yeah. Um, like you said, the halfway house doesn't really do anything. Yeah. So, the advice of the halfway house and probation officer, my probation officer, my advice to you know, reacclimating myself to society was, you're a smart guy. You'll figure it out. You'll figure it out. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah, and I'll admit I'm probably smarter than the average bear – but what about the average bear? What about the average bear? Yeah, you know bear? what I'm saying? Like, what do you, you know? Like, and it, luckily for me, I didn't. Th- I don't think much about that because I was solely thinking about myself. But <laughs> right. now that things are going okay, now it's like, well, no wonder the average guy keeps coming back. And that's why. You're saying figure it out. Yeah. That's, so. that's exactly what it is. Um, my probation officer was awesome. Uh, she came out the first time. She told me, she said, look, I'm not here to try to set you up. I'm not going to try to surprise you and trap you unless you give me a reason to i want to see you succeed and by every count her and i had a great relationship all the way through it so i think the and i've dealt with state probation officers too and and there seemed to be a little bit of a difference there you know to me um but so anyway while i was in rdap and i was able to help people i i was actually a senior guide through the last three months and then they asked me to stay over as a mentor and teach classes so I stayed over and taught classes, and that was just what I had a passion for. You know, I always had a problem with a regular job before in a corporation or something, trying to make somebody else rich. Here's something I can do and actually contribute to society and help. So let me look at going that, that path. Um, I got out. I got a job at some plastic injection molding, whatnot. Worked on getting my peer support specialist. Did the work. Went and... Uh, Intern for for Sunrise Community for Recovery and Wellness, which is where I work now, and did some volunteer work for them, and got an opportunity to go to work full time for them. And I tell you what, the difference that it made when I went from that corporate, you know, whatever job to this job was monumental. I mean, it was you're not going to make somebody rich now; you're going to try to help people. Right, and that just made me happy in a way that I'd never never had before. And that fueled me just pushing harder on Phoenix because I want to be able to help the guys in there. And I know enough about how the system works to to possibly be able to really do that. So I brainstormed with a bunch of people. I've talked to a lot of people on Facebook and connected with groups, you know, from people from FAM and a couple of the other groups that are out there. And uh, I've got a newsletter that goes in to the federal prison. Um but the, the project that I'm really excited about is Sunrise is the company that I work for. They're a peer-led organization, which means that it's all peer support specialists that run it. Right. It's all people with this lived experience. Okay. So the person who's struggling, they're able to relate to that person because they, they've kind of been there. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's not somebody with a doctorate degree that's never been struggled for anything telling them what's what, and they're not going to believe them. So you get a better chance to connect with them. There are these peer-led organizations all over the country. So what I'm working on doing is building a database of peer-led organizations and the contacts with the people there in every city that's got a halfway house. Right. So wherever there's a halfway house, I'm in contact with these guys in prison. I can put them in touch with a person 
with a phone number at this peer-led organization when they get to the halfway house. Okay, Then they've got a, a, a local access to the resources and everything. They've got somebody that they can connect with and understand because they've been there. Um, they'll know about jobs. They'll know about all the resources that are available to them. Right. Basically what the halfway house is supposed to be doing, but they don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's plugging them into that network. And the other big thing that it does is, you know, when you get out of prison, you're like, okay, what do I got to do now? A lot of people just fall back to their old friends, their old ways, which puts them right back in the same thing. Yeah. They get out and get introduced to, to this kind of organization. It's people that truly care. They're in recovery too. They're going to invite you to go do things. They're going to replace that social element as well in a lot of cases, you know, not every time, yeah. but in a lot of cases, they're going to replace that social community that you had. And that's going to make it getting down that path so much easier. Right. So that's the, the big thing that I'm, I'm pushing on the project now, but there's so much more. I mean, I've talked to a lot of life coaches um, out there on Facebook. There's some good groups for those. I had a great response for people who are willing to volunteer their time to have conversations with inmates that were still in prison and help them with life coaching and planning what they were going to do when they get out. Mm -hmm. So we've got that. Um, I've got a college professor that I know who's willing to help me write some correspondence courses, not necessarily for a degree, just to be able to get the knowledge of, of how to do basic bookkeeping for a business. Right. Cause that's one of the things about, about people that are in prison as well is they're not really of an employee mindset. Yeah. They're more wanting to go work for themselves. At least a lot of them. Yeah. I can't tell you how many people came to me. Can you help me write this business plan? Right. You know, yeah, yeah. but they just don't have the knowledge to be able to do it. That's actually a hustle in there. I know guys that were charging guys like a hundred bucks, a hundred bucks, 200 bucks to write a business plan. I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> Everybody's hustling in there, doing? aren't they? What are you doing? Everybody, they, everybody they, they they listen to every business plan that somebody came. They go, man, that is a good idea. That's a good idea. And they go, man, I, can you write up a business plan? They go, yeah, man, it's like a hundred bucks. Give me a hundred bucks in commissary or hundred. You know, you do one or two of those uh, a month. And it was basically his business plan was the same basically over and over. It was just. It's horrible. Yeah. People are just horrible, yeah. just preying on people. Oh, yeah. Well, you're in there with a bunch of criminals. Exactly. <laughs> what do you expect? So, um, But I, I got a ton of ideas, you know, for what can be done with this thing. But I think the big thing is just I try to catch people about a year before they get out or so. Yeah. And uh, get them connected with, with resources in their area and then start helping them develop a plan. You know, but a little bit down the road, really – the way I sum it up the best is I want to revolutionize rehabilitation in prison. Right. I want to be able to offer them the resources they need to be able to be successful when they get out. Yeah, and you wouldn't have to. The easiest thing, well, easiest, one of the things would be good is to actually be able to go in like every once a year or something to multiple prisons and kind of give a a presentation or explain. Like that'd be the perfect thing to try and get to them so that they know it's available because the staff's not going to help. But, you know, if they, they were allow you to come in and have that conversation. And the other thing is, you know, what I mean, guys, so luckily in Florida, they have what's called the flow bus. And that is the where they allow you to get your driver's license. Do you know how many guys I know that were getting out of prison that are going you're going to the halfway house and you don't have an ID? You don't have a driver's license. And I was like, why didn't you go to the flow bus? Bro, I did. I put in for it twice and they canceled at the last minute this time. And the other one was full. And then I had, I owed this much money on back parking tickets. 
So they would, I had to pay that off. Well, that was 800 bucks and I couldn't get it paid off. So I couldn't get my driver's license. I could get an ID, but I, and it was like, like you would think that they would have something set up. The federal government would have something set up mm-hmm. to say, listen, we're quashing this guy's $800. Right. He's been locked up 12 years. Drop it. Like, let's get him a, a driver's mm-hmm. license. Let's get him that. Like, it's all on you. It's all on you. And, and I get it. I, I get that it's I get that it's your fault that you're there and I get that whole thing, but the truth is that these are guys who have a lot of these guys have never had a job. They don't know how to pay, fill out paperwork. The anxiety is overwhelming and the staff doesn't want to help. And so they get out, there's no help, they're super they feel more comfortable going to a drug deal than they do filling out paperwork to try and get a fucking driver's license. Yep. So, somebody yeah, needs to just, be able to help. It in leaves some way. it leaves them hopeless. Right. I mean, it leaves them hopeless, and that's right. It's just a cycle. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's like me. I was hopeless. I turned to crime to solve my problems. Let's, that's what people are going to continue to do unless you give them some kind of avenue to be able to reenter society. Right. You know, and it was tempting for me to jump in there and, and jump into the legal fight of you know uh, squashing mandatory minimums and and conditions in jail and everything like that. Look, there's a lot smarter people in there that are doing yeah. that than than me, and I, I'm going to leave that to them. This is a problem that I see that I can do something about, right? And that's what I'm. That's that's my jam. It, it makes me happy to do that because I'm able to connect with guys that are where I used to be. They want to get where I am now. Okay, if you want to get where I'm now, I'll help you. Yeah. Now I'm not going to work harder at it than you're going to. Yeah, I was just thinking that a lot of these guys will they'll take advantage. They'll be like, "Oh, well, you sure can they you will. do this? Can you?" Basically, they want you to give, 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 give. No, or even just take up your time to talk to you. Yeah, because you know when you're inside, outside communications a big yeah. deal. Yeah. So even just having somebody to talk to would be a big thing to them. But um, I'm working on some some kind of vetting kind of things, you know, to decide right. who 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 really wants to change. You got to show me. You know that that you're you're really trying to do this before I'm going to dump a bunch of effort into. But if you do that, I'll give you everything I got. Right. Um, I've got a person that I've helped out in uh, Salt Lake City. Um, they had uh, their was it the First Step Act credits yeah. refigured. Okay. She was in a halfway house, and at two o'clock in the afternoon, they said your time has been recalculated. You have to be out of here by four o'clock. Where am I going to go? They don't give a shit. We don't care. But you can't be here at 4 o'clock. Yeah. So her and I worked a good bit that night, and we got her a hotel room. Yeah. So that she'd have somewhere to stay. And then we started working on trying to get her a plan together. So, you know, if that's the kind of organization I want Phoenix to be. My newsletter is completely interactive. I invite everybody that gets the newsletter. Email me back. You know, right. we'll start a dialogue as much as we can, and several people have done that. That's showing me that you're really trying to do something. Right. So, um, but going back in there or going in there and doing motivational speaking and stuff, I would yeah. love to do that. I'm, yeah. wa- I'm waiting on the time limit before I can, but that's that's something that I'll have in the works um, coming up. So I'm excited about it. It's, well, let you me know, know. Complete, okay. completing that book was a big deal, and I got something completed. Now I want to get this all the way there and get it completed and be able to change people's lives. And if you like the video, do me a favor and hit the subscribe button, hit the bell so you get notified of videos like this. Leave me a comment and I will try and respond back to you. And please keep me in mind for Patreon. And thank you very much. And check out the Resource Center, all of his stuff in the description, his links in the description. And I appreciate it. And I'll see you guys.